0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter, and we have another awesome, awesome show today. Today's guest, Pratik Patel, he is the Director of Performance Nutrition. He's also an Assistant Strength Coach for the New York Football Giants, and this conversation was so great because I felt like it answered a lot of the questions that I and my friends have had around nutrition. Uh, that I've honestly been able to unanswer for, it feels like most of my adult life. So regarding, you know, what sort of things should we be paying attention to with regards to our diet? How should we be supplementing to ensure that we're performing at our peak level and, and maximizing recovery? But then he just also gave a lot of uh, really useful tactics that the average person can do throughout their day to make sure that they're thinking about their nutrition in the right way and, and getting the most out of it. Right? I feel there, this is such an ambiguous area with so much just misinformation that it becomes really confusing for people who want to do the right thing. And I think he gave a lot of clarity today. Pratik's an incredible resource. Like I said, he works in the NFL. Previously, he was at the University of Oregon. Before that, he was a sports dietitian at the Michigan State University for that athletic department. So he has years and years of experience working with high performing athletes. And he even says it himself today, a lot of the same things that he does for his elite athletes, the average person can benefit from. Now, the important point here is that these guys in the NFL have much different energy demands, but a lot of the same principles we can leverage to get uh, you know more out of our diet. So it's a long conversation, but it's a great one, especially if nutrition and supplementation is something that you've thought about. I hope you enjoy. I could have asked him questions for another hour and a half, but uh, sadly, even though he's in quarantine, he, he still has a, a life to live. So. He was incredibly gracious with his time. I hope you enjoy the conversation. As always, I hope people aren't getting tired of hearing this, but I really want to thank everyone who's reached out and left a review or contacted me personally to let me know you're enjoying the show. We really appreciate it, and, and frankly, that's why we're doing it. I want to help spread information and awareness around things people can be doing to uh, either you know reach their own goals or perform at a higher level. So I'm really glad to hear it's resonating. If you haven't yet, Go to Apple, leave us a rating. It helps new people find out about the show. It helps me continue to get fantastic guests. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Also, um, I think we're doing a little bit better job, but uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram at the underscore professional athlete, uh, we're trying to do a really good job of sharing content that aligns with uh, lessons we might've learned from guests on the show I'm also working towards a couple of uh, my own physical fitness goals, so you can track those as well, and, and, and all honestly, I'm, I'm trying to implement a lot of the things that I'm learning from these guests, so I will continue to try and use that as an outlet, so please follow us there. Let us know how you're enjoying the show, and without further ado, let's welcome Pratik to the program. I got to get
1: up,
0: I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. So, are you you're an assistant strength and condition coach and the head nutritionist?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, on the nutrition side. It's just me, and then we've got a really amazing uh, in-house food service staff that they they do an amazing job with taking care of all the meals, you know, individualizing as much as we need to for the players. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of rest our hat on trying to be one of the best in the NFL, if not all professional sports in terms of just the, the taste and quality. You know, it's oh, one thing cool. you, we've heard a lot about from players that have been around the league that have been to multiple teams. You know, one of the big things that they they like and recognize is like the food is just so much better with us than it is anywhere else. And like that's just our food service staff and our head chef. They uh, They're very talented and we're lucky to have them.
0: Oh, that's awesome! What is the kind of the driving force behind that? Because it, so it sounds like it's it's a different depending on what team you're at, right? So there's a food mm-hmm. service team. That, how many meals are the guys eating on on premise, like during the season?
2: Yeah, it, during off season training, during a normal off season training, yeah, when they're yeah. when they're with us, and then at camp and in season, it's generally breakfast and lunch, and then we'll individually package things for specific players that want to take food home to go. Now a lot of them, you know, they've got families where they have their own chef, and or they just don't want to eat you know, it's the same thing that they had seen for lunch. And I, I get it, mm-hmm. I understand. They don't want to take advantage of it. Usually our, our rookie free agents are very financially savvy players know that, hey, it's a free meal. It's exactly what I need and yeah. it tastes good. Why would I not take this home and eat it? Absolutely. During camp, you know, during camp we'll do breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then everybody calls it the quote unquote late night snack. That's that's fourth meal, yeah. really. On top of just all the, the nutrition items, bars, fruit you know, nut packets, specifically tailored options that our food service staff has either created or we purchase from, you know, third party vendor that we have spread out around the building, whether it's outside meeting rooms, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's in the locker room, you know, it's just, we try to take care of as much as we can because the guys are so laser focused on training and meetings and, right. and their phone. You know, we try to take the guesswork out of it while simultaneously educating them on what exactly they should be eating based on a lot of different factors.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. And, and I guess my next question is, like, to what extent are you guys tailoring meals for individual players?
2: As much as they want. You know, right yeah. now we've got a roster of about 65 or 67, give or take. And right. then once we finish up with the draft and free agency, we'll have, you know, mid, uh, mid-90s, hmm. which is a lot. So it is in a, a lot, tipp- yeah. It's not what a lot of people necessarily think. So we'll carry that for the majority of the offseason training program and all of preseason. And then at the end of the final preseason game, you have until, I think, that Monday to cut your roster down to 53. And then you sign back 10 players to the practice squad. But now it's changing. You can sign back even more now, I believe, oh, wow. with, the, with with what they agreed upon in the CBA. I have to go back and check that out. That's, that's right, yeah. Uh, it's, it's changing a lot of things. Yeah. But for the for the most part, majority of the guys – kind of manage things themselves now if there mm. are specific things that pop up whether it's an injured player or somebody just flagged because of body comp issues weight issues then we'll definitely take them under a wing and be like all right no this is where you're at this is where we think you can be or should be these are the steps we're going to take to get you there you know do some basic education tell them we'll make it as easily as possible as fail safe because everything's provided for them in-house yeah and and then go from there a a lot of players are very interested and they'll ask a lot of questions but you also have a lot of non-adopters and that's with like almost anything that we do whether it's any of the monitoring tactics we use any of the you know things we provide a medical recovery wise guys just they just don't buy in. And it's our job to try to find ways to get into them and pierce them. Yeah. But, and some players, they want it, they'll come to me like, just tell me what to do, I'll do it. Some are like, well, I just need some help with dinner because I'm going home and, you know, I I like cooking, but I just don't know what to cook when I'm looking at my stove and my fridge. I just don't know how to put meals together. And, you know, they're getting taught a lot better during college because the resources available in the NCAA have really improved over the past 10 years. You know, my first Mm -hmm. job was at Kansas state and then Michigan state and what, you know, colleges have been able to do since then has been amazing, you know, meet the needs of what are the energy demands for all these players because they're there for pretty much the entire year. Yeah. And there's a lot expected out of them and they don't have a lot of money to take care of that stuff themselves and they don't know yet. So a lot of colleges have standalone sports nutrition departments where the education's right there. And then they're taking care of two to three meals, uh, everything on the home and road, which is great. But the problem is a lot of it is everything's becoming spoon fed to these athletes. Mm. So, you know, they, they have their whole schedule mapped out from when they wake up to when they go to bed. You know, this is your lift. This is your treatment time. This is your meeting time. This is your class time. This is your tutor. This is your training table. You know, this is your homework time. And then you go to bed. And so it kind of defeats the purpose of them having autonomy and getting a chance to think for themselves is what most people go through when they're in college. Now, right. A lot of, a lot of information is taught to them, which is great. But at that time in their life, when these kids are 17, 18 to 21, 22, how much of, uh, how much of importance do they put on that? Or is it just, they're thinking about balling out and getting to the league right. or, you know, hurry up and finishing X, Y, and Z because they're thinking about that next step. So that's when we get them. And then we have to retrain them from ground ground zero to go over some nutrition basics, maybe some more advanced basics of nutrition performance recovery, hmm. and then tailor it individually to their learning styles, too.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And it's funny, like I'm thinking about myself when I came out of school. So I, I played football <laughs> at, at Princeton and, uh, you know, we had dining halls and we have this whole other system called eating clubs, which could be a whole separate podcast. <laughs> <for any reason. laughs> but, uh, you know, I, we didn't necessarily have like, I think the hands-on nutritional training that I know that like top programs are getting today at the collegiate level. So I even felt that way. Like, you know, when I went into the working world, I was like, what the hell am I supposed to be eating? Yeah. So like uh, maybe that's a, that's a really good question. You know, what are some of like kind of the basic nutritional principles that you're trying to arm these young players with so that they can make good decisions once they get outside your walls?
2: Yeah. We try to form it more of just sports nutrition basics to try to let them know that they are elite level athletes because they are playing in the NFL. Right. So their energy demands and what they need to be eating and doing is going to be different than anything that they've heard you know, on the news, anything they've seen in a Netflix documentary, anything that they've read on Twitter or seen on Instagram, you know, the the normal population needs do not apply to them. There's a lot of similarities, but most people aren't, you know, lifting four or five times a week and then going and running around on the practice field for up to two hours a day. I mean, the lifting, the lifting part's easy. Like they're going to lift harder in college than they will in the NFL. That's just the truth of the matter. The stuff they do on field, you know, obviously you've done it before, but now I assume you don't want to do it again at this stage in your life. And I, I know <laughs> I can't do it. I'm, I'm watching, you know, our receivers and defensive backs just run all over the field, change direction, right. you know, hit these top speeds for two hours. Yeah, and I'm thinking, Oh Lord, just the amount of trauma and energy expended in that session. And even our linemen, yeah. you know, going up against each other physically, just when the full pads are on, they're still going after it Cause these guys are, trying to make a team and try to right. put food on the table for their kids and provide for their wife and mom and dad and everybody under the sun. Yep. So one is just understanding, you know, what their specific needs are and just looking at it as an individual player I'm not trying to just blanket cover all football players. Cause we've got even linemen in the same position group that have very different needs. So one mm. is just looking at just just their anthropometric assessments, you know, what is their weight? What is their body comp? You know, do some more, um, advanced metrics on them just to kind of see where they're at, you know, at at this stage of their career, whether you're a vet or either, whether you're a 23 or 24 year old player, you're probably not going to change your body in terms of putting on a significant amount of muscle mass. You're not going to change positions Hmm. unless it's it's like you're a tweener, you know, you're a safety outside linebacker. You can go up, or you can go down. Um, That's where we try to start with these guys to let them know that this is where you're at. This is where we think you potentially can be based on, you know, what the position coach, what the coordinator is seeing on film. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I think this guy, you know, he strikes really well. He's very strong, but he needs to be more explosive. So, all right, looking at this guy, like, yeah, he does carry a little bit too much 80-post uh, fat tissue on him, so he can lean out, and that's going to improve his ability to get off the ball quickly. Or if it's a skill guy who has, you know, really narrow hips, but he's got broad shoulders, he's got, you know, wide knee girths, but he's he looks a little bit leaner than when he could potentially play at, we think, all right, well, he could probably – you know, add on five pounds, not anything crazy because we expect him to, you know, run down the field at 20, 21 miles an hour repeatedly. Yeah. So, you know, being very realistic about where these guys can go. And then from that, it's just kind of putting together a basic plan to say, all right, we know what the schedule looks like. We know when you're lifting, we know when practices, these are your opportunities to, you know, eat and hydrate during the day to maximize what you're going to be doing yeah. for what the energy demands, whether it's a lift where guys just to have this. Very strange preconceived notion that you know the only time that they, they can gain weight is when they lift, and you know they'll slam protein and drink all these shakes and eat really heavily after lift as opposed to after practice. Hmm. But the energy demands of practice significantly outweigh any lift that they're going to do. You right. know, if I can do the lifts, then I know that it's not it just super intense. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, um, so just starting from there and trying to teach you guys about what exactly they need to be to be successful, whether it's just some basic health principles because health really intertwines closely with performance. So we, Mm -hmm. we look at blood biomarkers, you know, the guys opt in and, you know, get their blood drawn at multiple times during the year in the season. So we can just see what's going on, what the inflammatory markers look like. What is their, you know, lipid status? What is their micronutrient status? You know, what is their muscle metabolism status? That way we can adjust anything on the fly. Yeah, And then they even look at the team as a whole, like, are there peaks and valleys in certain things that we need to be aware of? Like, is the team getting healthier as the season progresses or, you know, are they significantly you know, becoming more inflamed at certain time points. That way we can be more proactive next year with what we do
0: as a as a performance staff as a whole. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, I mean, there's a lot of things that I want to ask you about, but I guess <laughs> one, one of the things, so, so here's what I get a lot from friends. And a lot of my, my friends are former collegiate athletes and, and professional athletes at, at some level, but even they have a tough time, like understanding like what a proper nutrition should look like at this stage in their life. And what I'm wondering is, people have so many different approaches. Like some people will talk about like ma- tracking their macros till they're blue yeah. in the face. Other people will talk about the timing of their car. Like there's all these different things. And I'm just wondering, you know, knowing that the demands of a professional athlete are different than like a working professional. Like how how are you communicating the guidelines to your players? And what I mean by that is like, are, are you talking to them in terms of macros? Are you talking to them in terms of like just broader... Uh, you know, ways to make choices. Like, how do you communicate that to such a diverse group of guys?
2: I think one is just kind of, you know, we'll try to do some larger group sessions where we just introduce a specific topic, talk about it for a couple of minutes. And uh, that way we're just hitting these different educational installs. And then it can kind of open the door to guys being a little bit more aware of, you know, something that they may not have been taught before. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them might have questions after that. And they'll come up to me and be like, oh, I've always been wondering about this. Can you go a little bit deeper in depth with that? Uh, I think it really depends. It varies person to person the same way that each player learns really differently in terms of learning the scheme or coverage or an assignment. Some can just watch film of somebody else doing it and understand like, all right, this is exactly what I need to do. Some can just be spoken to, you know, in a unit meeting before any film goes out. Yeah. You know, they're installing plays, they're explaining exactly what's going to happen in, in this formation and this coverage, this shift, this alignment, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some players need to actually just physically get up and do it. So they hear the call, they look around, they see you know what's going on on the other side of the ball, they see what's going on with everybody else, and then they can be in there visually. And I think yeah. players learn about certain the conditioning principles and nutrition principles the same way. Sometimes I can have a conversation with the guy face-to-face and and just go over a topic. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. I got it. Some are like, Hey, can you text that information to me? Because their phone's always going to be on their side. Some are like, can you just write it down? And I'm going to stick it in the bulletin board in my locker. And that way every morning when I come in, I can see it. Mm -hmm. Or do I have to physically be there with them while they're going through the lunch line and and just say, Hey, remember, you know, this is what your goal is for today. This is what the aim is. You want to make sure you eat this, this, and this, and not, these choices. And this is the reason why, or, you know, we also use utilizing our food service staff to, to provide the same messaging too. So Mm -hmm. there's a variety of different ways to do it. So it's not just giving them numbers or giving them macros. Some of it could be just pictures or food diagrams, or just, you know, use your fist for a serving and half your plate should be this. That way, you know, they can remember it a little bit easier, just identifying the way that that person learns and just tailoring that information to their needs.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned the, the post-workout shake, and I definitely <laughs> wanted to ask you about that today because that is, I, I feel like right or wrong, that's where most people go. Because to your mm-hmm. point, it's like the associate weight training with putting on muscle and for good reason, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and everyone's like, well, what should I be taking? And like the supplement market is so confusing. And I know that you guys <laughs> operate in a highly regulated, uh, I don't know, I'll, I guess I'll call it an arena. Um, so, so, from your perspective. And again, we're talking about high performing athletes, but I think there's a lot of folks out there who either have like strength goals, power goals. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole diverse world of athletes out there beyond, beyond college. Um, what do you think are like the basic, uh, you know, staples of an effective like post-workout shake or supplement? Yeah.
2: I I think the, the general term, You know, it depends, and you get that answer a lot. But Mm -hmm. overall, it's just understanding any type of training you're doing. You're going to be breaking down energy stores, and you're going to be breaking down muscle tissue. Whether it's a lift, whether it's a run, it just depends on the intensity and duration of what you're doing. And then you got to figure out what your goals are. And then looking forward, there's a lot of really good research out there in terms of obviously you need some type of protein or amino acid source. Now, if you're a professional athlete who has a very tightly structured day and you don't have you know 100% control of your meals. Now, even if it's just a lift day and you know, you've got to practice the next day, then you're going to want something with protein and carbohydrates with it as soon as possible. And everybody talks about the anabolic window and for athletes or people that are training multiple times a day, there is that anabolic window where, you know, if you have a second workout later on in the day, then yeah, you can't wait to get, you know, your amino acids and your carbs and all the other micronutrients that your body's going to need. Um, If you're a normal athletes and you know, like you yourself or myself who just likes to lift, stay in shape and whatnot, then that anabolic window isn't 100% necessary to just chug something. The second, the last bar or last rep finishes, yeah. you know, you're not going to, you're not going to lose your gains because muscle protein synthesis happens for, you know, up to 24 hours. So as long as you have some amino acids in the body, then you're going to continually stimulate that. And the goal is to get uh, like at least 30 grams of high quality protein if it's a large muscle mass activity movement where you're working multiple body parts, which is usually what people do in a lift. Yeah. You're going to want at least 40 grams, if not more, uh, of, of you, protein, a protein, okay. the car, the carbohydrate needs after a lift aren't super high. Cause you know, unless hmm. you're doing a marathon lifting session where you're going all out for, you know, four sets of four exercises, or you're doing a 10 by 10, something like that. Then you know you can replenish muscle glycogen at a rate of I think somewhere about five percent per hour okay. if you've exhausted it completely. Now this plays more in a role of a football player in season that's going through training and it has yeah. to be ready for game day. But as opposed, as, you know, for a normal person, you know, you don't have to slam a ton of carbs after it
0: because so you. Fu- Go, no, go ahead.
2: Because you'll be able to replenish that muscle glycogen over the course of the next day if your workouts at the same time, 24 hours later. Now, there's a lot of emerging evidence that says that it's, it might be even a little bit more beneficial to hold off for about an hour two hours because you can get a greater growth hormone response, greater testosterone response if you don't just mm. slam that shake immediately afterwards. So what might be more beneficial is, and again, there's a lot of different schools of thought. There's no one right way or wrong way to do it, whatever works with your routine that you feel most comfortable with some people like drinking something immediately after some can say, well, I'm going to go shower, I'm going to get ready. And then I'm going to have my post-workout meal, or I'm going to have my more dedicated shake. Or it could be something where if you you don't necessarily want to do a protein shake, but you want something quick, it could be something with essential amino acids, like 10 grams. And maybe you can add some creatine, some, um, Like sodiums, magnesium, something else to go along with that. Mm -hmm. So you know, again, it's there's a lot of different ways to do it. There's no one right or wrong way to answer Mm -hmm. that question, and I know it's probably not exactly what you wanted to hear.
0: But there is benefit to
2: to drinking something afterwards. It just it kind of just depends.
0: Yeah, and i i I get the sense that a lot of what's out there is not necessary. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I, that's hard because that's such a blanket statement. I'm not giving you any example of like what I'm referring to, but it sounds like, I mean, you went immediately to like, like protein, right? Mm. Number one, uh, carbs, but it sounds like, cause what I've always heard is like, Hey, there's this 30 minute window, mm. you know, like you have 30 minutes after like a hard workout. Like that is when you want to like slam all this stuff. And it's interesting because now you're saying that there actually might be evidence, evidence counter to that saying that. If you wait a couple hours, right, that could actually improve like the the human growth uh, hormone response. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, no, that, even, so now I'm even more confused. So now I don't know what. Yeah.
2: To do. Well, I'd say that 30 minute window <laughs> plays more if you're a person doing multiple workouts in a day. So say okay we're looking at uh, an athlete with us who's going to be lifting in the morning, but's going to practice in the right. afternoon. Yep. So obviously that plays a role with, yeah, you have to go immediately afterwards. There's no delaying. Or if you're, uh, if you're doing a right. bunch of CrossFit workouts or you're doing a competition or you're a triathlete who's got, you know, something in the morning or an endurance mm-hmm. athletes do something in the morning and then something in the evening, that's where it comes into play where, yeah, you need to, do it as soon as after your workouts add in more carbohydrate because you've got a secondary session later You're on got
0: it and that's so now it's all clicking because you were saying they need to replenish those glycogen stores in a much shorter time frame whereas the average person like let's say you do a workout monday morning and then you're going to come back at the same time Tuesday like you have 24 hours mm-hmm. and you can kind of like steadily replenish that those glycogen excuse me glycogen stores <laughs> over that time frame is that correct yeah that's right okay cool i think that's helpful for people podcast over no just kidding <laughs> <laughs> well damn um, yeah that was easy uh no okay that's awesome and then you brought up creatine mm-hmm. and i actually that's that's the first way that i stumbled upon you you'd written something in the past on creatine that someone had passed me um and the reason I like creatine is it's, it's been incredibly well researched, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And the safety of it is is the, the nutritional, uh, what's the word I'm looking here for, uh, community is pretty much all in agreement that creatine is safe. Is that fair to say? Yeah. 100%. You, and, and is that something that for your athletes, you guys recommend that they add to their, their post-workout supplement routine?
2: Yeah, and I'd say the the reason why is understanding what energy systems are football players working in, and, and mm-hmm. I did a presentation uh, last year to uh, the Dr. Andrews uh, Health Institute, just looking at you know when we put together these nutrition prescriptions for what exactly a football player needs or what they what they should consume, and obviously it's very heavily carb based because they are you know anaerobic glycolytic. Mm -hmm. Uh, athletes, you know, they're operating within, you know, six seconds or less, but some plays can go for 15 to 20 seconds and then they get long rest periods. So that's when they're breaking down fat stores during those rest periods, but, um, they're breaking down a lot of creatine phosphate. So, you know, in a six second all out sprint, you know, you're breaking down muscle creatine stores, but you're also breaking down, um, glycogen too. Yeah. So 50% of the contribution to energy, your ATP production is from creatine phosphate. The rest is coming from muscle glycogen. Mm. So they're breaking down their stores regularly. They're also lifting. So, you know, I, we know that lifting, sprinting, jumping, really high power type sports, movements, break down muscle uh, creatine stores, creatine phosphate stores. So that's why creatine is really important for those type of, you know, power athletes, you know, weightlifters, yeah. Olympic uh, athletes, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But like you said, they've, they've done tons of research over the years on creatine phosphate. And it's hard to even point out, has there been anything that has been negatively studied as an adverse effect? And the overwhelming evidence is not really, like you might have a condition here or there, or if you have an athlete that's very sensitive for their weight class and they just, they really, they can't even squeeze another ounce on the scale because it might detrimentally affect the performance. Well, yeah, we know that when you, when you take creatine, it stores in the muscle. It also bounds uh, water the same way carbs do. When you store it as muscle glycogen, that's why you get that full feeling. That's why people say, well, it's just water weight. Well, yeah, because every time you, you, if you're super loading creatine in the muscle, you're also adding in that water that stores with it as well. Hmm. Um, you know, the the article you talked about, I wrote it for the NSCA. So just looking at it from a practitioner coach's standpoint on, you know, what are the different ways creatine can help athletes? What type of athletes? And so it's not just for lifting. They've looked at it as a compensatory mechanism to help with protecting muscle during you know high intensity training helps decrease mm-hmm. inflammatory markers in endurance athletes they've also looked at it in the role of cognitive performance in the brain its role in concussions yeah. i mean there's even more emerging evidence that i didn't really talk about in that paper because it's looking more as a health and clinical aspect where it could be beneficial with people that have type 2 diabetes heart failure patients, cardiovascular disease patients. It's, it plays a role in bone modeling and formation. Hmm. I mean, it's one of those things where you could take it like a five gram dose, which is kind of your standard average every day for the rest of your life and actually probably get, be more beneficial and be healthier than not taking it. And it's something I've taken every day for probably the past five years and I don't cycle it. I just take it every day.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I remember when I was playing, so I, let me think about this. My last season was in 2009. Mm -hmm. So I get, yeah, a little over 10 years ago. I remember, and I pulled my hamstring the first day of my last (laughs) season. And there's a whole host of reasons why that might've happened, but we won't go into those. And I remember like at that time, people, someone came over and was like, well, you got to get off the creatine. (laughs) Like what? I got to get off the creatine. Like, well, I'm not even really on creatine. I don't think you can be on it, but now it, I think that's, that's kind of like the general myth, right? Is it dehydrates you? It can cause Mm. muscle pulls or muscle tears. Right. And for most, uh, all intents and purposes, right. That's kind of been disproven. Correct.
2: Yeah. And there was a couple studies published, there was this football team that started supplementing and they went through their preseason camp, this is a college team, okay. and I think in season two and what they found, especially during those higher intense training bouts, which you see in, in camp, just given that the players are have a little bit of a layoff and then they see some of the highest workloads at that time, and same thing with the NFL, you have the highest incidences and in, in injuries during the end of the first week going into the second week of, of training camp. Mm those that supplement with creatine had a lower incidence of soft tissue injuries. They actually had a lower incidences of cramping and dehydration. So it's one of those things that we're still dealing with that preconceived notion that, Oh man, if you pull the hamstring, it's because of creatine and a lot of players that have taken it in college that we have, or have had in the past, or I've worked with in the past have kind of made that association. But when you kind of, when you do more of a deep dive and you ask about what were the other factors going on when you did pull your hamstring, like what was your training volume? Like Mm -hmm. were you physically prepared? What was your weight? Like, you know, like was your body ready to handle the demands of what you were doing or was it just, you know, a lot of things culminating at once and then, Oh, you just happen to be supplementing with creatine at the time. So we're Mm -hmm. just going to, that's going to be the red herring. I'm going to throw creatine underneath the bus. Right. And now everybody believes it because it's said in all these circles. You know, maybe an athletic trainer heard it and has been saying it for a while, or a strength coach heard it and has been saying it for a while. So these are things I've heard. I hear often. And, you know, unfortunately, there's not a ton of evidence in terms of looking at a football team supplementing it for the course of the season because mm-hmm. it's really difficult to do. You also have the NCAA and what they're able to and not able to provide their athletes to. So it, it's, it's not as well-known and mainstream as we'd want it to be. And yeah. I think it's one of those things that every single one of our players should be taking. Hmm. And, and it's one of those things that I'm going to try to you know educate them on one of the benefits, how to take it and why they should be taking it.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that I found, and again, I read it in that paper um, that you wrote, but prior to that, I also saw that there was evidence that like it, it improves cognitive function. Um, and that was really intriguing to me. So one of the things, again, I, you know, I played football since I was, I don't know, tackle since I was like nine, which now (laughs) there's a lot of parents across America that'll go, Oh yeah, can't do that. They'll shudder. But, um, you know, and I, and I played through college until I was like 23, uh, yeah 23 jeez and uh you know but like man maybe like 4 or 5 years after i graduated i felt like i was having you know memory issues or i was just like slowing down and i was like oh god and that was right when all this stuff came out about cte and i was like all right let me take a step back before i freak out like there's a lot of other things going on in my life. Like I'm out drinking, I'm not sleeping well, my nutrition's <laughs> living I was like, let me try and check some of those boxes first. And like, lo and behold, like, you know, when I sleep better, I think better, all these other things kind of like come into the fold that start creating like better habits for me. But when I read that about creatine, I was like, oh, perfect. Like, let me add that in and let's, let's see if that helps. And it's kind of hard to pinpoint whether or not, that's something that's directly contributing. I like to think that it is, especially since like the research points in that direction. Um, but on, on, that, on that kind of topic, because I think that whether you're a professional athlete or not is something that's super interesting for people. Are there any other supplements that you have seen like, uh, you know, enough evidence for, that can also help improve cognitive function that, that either you take for yourself or that you recommend for people who are looking to improve that sort of aspect of their life.
2: Yeah. It's, it's looking at different things like nootropics or substances mm-hmm. that can cross the blood brain barrier. Creatine's one of them. Uh, curcumin, you know, the highly anti-inflammatory compound and turmeric uh, people yeah. are looking at a lot of uh, adaptogenic mushrooms like um, cordyceps. Yep. And that's something that, you know, it's very promising. There's not a ton of research as composed to as opposed to creatine and even uh, curcumin. Caffeine's
0: okay. another one too, right? Uh, caffeine's caffeine's great. Obviously, as I, as yeah. I hold up my, <laughs> my cup of, I'm not a tea drinker, but I was out in the yard all day working, and I was like, oh man, I need a little little pick, a up. little boost, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, which is interesting because you know there's some good research looking at nutrigenomics and do people have this 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 caffeine gene or not? Where some could be looked at as fast metabolizers and some can be looked at as slow metabolizers. So the ones that are fast metabolizers get the ergogenic benefit, but the mm. ones that are slow metabolizers is actually more detrimental to their health and performance. And you'd have to strategically oh, really? try to find a way to dose it. Yeah. Um, Dr. Nancy Guest done a lot of really good research, Craig Pickering, it's really interesting stuff and kind of opens up a lot of people's eyes of, you know, I've had athletes in the past, you know, like really high level track and failed athletes that say like they can't have they like, they obviously want to take things that are going to help their performance and help keep them dialed in. And you know, the, the general ones, you know, whey protein, creatine, caffeine, the ones that you think do no harm. Some of them verbalizing, like they're like, yeah, I can't even take like a small cup of coffee with 60 or 80 milligrams of coffee because they know that it just messes them up. And then they can't sleep at night, even Uh, if they take it at like 8am or 10am. So they're the ones that, and it's about 10% of the population have the slow metabolizer gene. Hmm. As opposed to everybody else, ten to fifteen percent, and everybody else actually is a is a pretty good responder, a fast metabolizer, or hyper metabolizer of it.
0: Oh man! So I, I have to imagine: are there a bunch of other like for the slow metabolizers out there? Are there a whole other host of issues that they kind of have to contend with that the other ninety percent doesn't have to deal with, or is it just kind of like very specific use cases like that where that would more for them? It's
2: a, it's a. Actually, I wrote a, an article about caffeine before that creatine one. And I kind of oh, touched okay. on this a little bit. And talked mean, I, I'm going to
0: link to all of those in the show notes. I have the creatine one, but I'll find the caffeine one as well. Okay. And if you can't find it, I can send it to you too. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you. I'll let you know.
2: Yeah. So the, the people that are slow metabolizers, you know, uh, I won't go in super in depth and detail with it, but cause I know we're talking more about nootropics and brain function and cognitive function. It's that there's more issues with you know, increasing heart rate, anxiety, you know, heart palpitations, you know, increase, induces a negative cardiovascular effect that, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not warranted and it's not what they want. Um, so they don't peak with the ergogenic benefits of caffeine at the same time as somebody that's a fast metabolizer who knows that, yeah, I can take it and I can either fill it within 15 or 30 minutes, although it takes a little bit longer, but it could be just that natural process of taking something that's, you know, advertises a stimulant and the body going, oh yeah, I'm good, I'm good to go. Right? Yeah. You know, the brain can override a
0: anything. Little, a little placebo
2: effect, to where uh, it might not even be beneficial for them to even take any caffeine, and unless mm. they really want to try to work it out, and they know that it's not a significant effect, it's going to negatively affect, you know, the heart health or overall general health where they would want to dose it well out in advance where it could be something that if they are performing later on in the afternoon or in the evening, they would want to take it earlier on in the morning or mid-morning as opposed to what, you know, if we were playing a football game at 1 p.m. Eastern, guys are just guzzling everything at 12 or if it's a 7 p.m. Eastern game, guys are doing the same thing in the locker room at, you know, 6 or 5.30.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And when you say slow metabolizer, like, Now I'm thinking more broadly, right? Like the people who have no problem like losing weight or always seem to stay lean. Am I thinking about it the right way that like that's the person with the fast metabolism and the slow metabolizer might be the person who's like, I can never seem to shed weight. Or are we talking about like, is this two completely separate different things? Two
2: two completely separate different things because you've got these single nucleotide polymorphisms. People call them SNPs. And it's just how the way that the genetic information is coded. Like some people have, you know, the gene that can metabolize it really quickly. Some people can't. So it's independent of if somebody's, you know, an overweight person who struggles with their weight, as opposed to the person, you know, who's lean, who eats pizza and drinks beer all the time and just, you know, maintains 10% body fat without even trying.
0: Yeah. So you're talking about the way that that person can metabolize the caffeine. Mm. Okay. Because I could just, I could see there's a bunch of people listening. They're like, I know I'm that slow metabolizer. Like, <laughs> Ask a question about how I fix it. But um, okay. Cool. <laughs> just wanted to clarify that. Uh, so so back on this topic of nootropics. So creatine really well studied. Uh, the consensus is it's safe. Host of other benefits, but nootropi- a nootropic benefit is one of them. Uh, you said curcumin. I, I mm. can never pronounce it. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Curcumin curcumin okay i'm close uh what are some other ones uh that um you believe are actually effective you mentioned cordyceps i feel like mushrooms are having like this revival right now yeah uh and in full disclosure i do take um shroom tech from on it
2: yeah
0: on it seems to be well let me just ask you and you're not endorsing them but on it's a pretty <laughs> a pretty uh, trustworthy company. No, yeah,
2: yeah, they've got some NSF uh, certified for sport products. They work really closely with uh, Exos
0: Performance Training Centers. That's and right, and
2: they've, they've got a pretty good product line. I, I like some of their stuff.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I've always been really interested in the stuff that they're putting out. Um, okay, so Cordyceps. Is, is there anything else? And actually, could we even talk just broadly because this might be the first time people listening or hearing the term nootropic? Can, can you just kind of talk about like what that term means?
2: Yeah, in, in a broad-based sense, without going super crazy into it, it's just something that can uh, positively benefit cognitive function, mm-hmm. while in, in improving brain health, so to speak. Whether it's you know acting on the central nervous system or helping improve mitochondrial function or improving ATP production in the brain, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of how you know, I look at some of these things and there's a lot of different things you can take. Like we already mentioned a few. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of stuff that's touted out there that necessarily hasn't been studied. You see all these formulations that are coming out and sometimes, you know, people are just kind of taking one causal or association, that could potentially help cognitive function and running with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of the ones that we talked to that are tried and true. A- another positive one that has seen some benefit that I, I've read some research papers about is like dietary nitrates and beetroot, things of that nature. Cause that oh, can okay. cross the blood brain barrier. And I've, I've seen a couple things that have shown that it can, you know, help maintain cognitive function in, in certain
0: types of environments. Hmm. Interesting. Is that something that you guys talk to your players about at all? Because I I know, well, let me take a step (laughs) back. I imagine teams are looking for every edge possible, right? Like to to help their guys perform in their their peak performance state. Um, Is nootropic something that your team, if you can't talk to your team specifically broadly, you know that other nutritionists and strength and condition coaches are exploring for their athletes?
2: I think, you know, to an extent, yes, we're trying to find, you know, foods and, and nutrients and compounds that are being studied that can provide a potential benefit that can help maintain cognitive function, mainly in, in times of mental phys- and physical fatigue more than anything mm-hmm. else. But also if, if there's a benefit that, you know, we, we know some of these guys have issues focusing and studying and learning in classroom settings, which is what players do when they're in meetings. Right. You know, the, co- the college kids think that they're done with classes the second no. they get a call, and that's like actually you're just getting right back into it, but more yeah. professional setting. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what we try to do and what we recommend, and it's what the NFL feels very strongly about, is any any type of supplement that is either provided for managing a deficiency or recommended that the player, you know, go out and purchase on their own it has to be NSF certified for sports. So that's the third yeah. party testing company that tests, and makes sure that the products that are out there, based on lot number and serial number and all that, just have been tested to not have any banned substances in it, mm-hmm. which is really important. So the majority oh, yeah. of product, yeah, yeah the, the majority so of products that are now. out there aren't third party tested. A handful of them are, but most of them aren't. So that's mm-hmm. where you get in that fine line of you could be dealing with a company that's pretty reputable. And they're putting out a product, whether it's a pill or a powder and based on the ingredient label, there's, there's nothing in it, but maybe that company also produces like a T booster or a pro hormone or something along those lines. And, you know, when you have all these companies making different products, whether, you know, something should be fine and shouldn't, you know, there's always the, the potential of adulteration or cross-contamination. And then sometimes you have multiple companies in the same space because not everybody can uh, fund their own manufacturing plant. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you're outsourcing
0: it to a place that does supplements for multiple companies and they might have various supplements. Yeah, yeah.
2: So you always run that risk. But the good thing now, as opposed to, you know, when I first started, you know, 10 plus years ago, is that there's so many companies that are going that route of NSF certified for sport, or if you're a collegiate athlete or somebody else that just needs another third party informed choice, informed sport is also very good too. Hmm. Uh, There's tons of options. So if a guy comes up to me, he's like, Hey, I bought this and I look at it. I'm like you know, here's another alternative. Either we can try to provide it for you if it's a deficiency thing or just go on Amazon or here's the company, you know, they'll give you 60% off plus free shipping.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, and I'm actually a big fan too. I've become a big fan of the UFC. So if, if like anyone's looked at my Instagram, like more often <laughs> than not, there's probably like some old UFC fight on in the background. <laughs> But uh, it's shown up a lot there recently where guys are getting suspended because they have like, uh, and I'm going to totally butcher the the correct vocabulary for this, but like very trace amounts left of a banned substance. And a lot of times they're saying like, look, I mean, everyone does, but they're like, look, I really didn't take that, you know, like Mm. and they're finding that in some of these cases they are able to prove like it was cross-contamination and I imagine it's, in, in all likelihood it could very well be because of some of the issues that you just like laid out
2: mm-hmm. and i remember seeing there was a picture of a i think it was a featherweight fighter getting prepared for a fight so you know probably at the tail end of his cut yeah and he was taking all these supplements obviously because the nutrition's super dialed in or maybe he just needed to be more aggressive with his weight loss mm-hmm. so i think he was in a hotel just sitting down at the little desk area that hotels yeah. have and there yeah, was yeah. just Bottles and bottles of pills, just all different types. And I don't know if you can necessarily see exactly what it is, but they're all congregated together. So you can't see some of the ones in the middle, mm-hmm. but just by the, the, the color of the bottle and looking at the labels. I'm like, I would guess all of those weren't third party tested, to be yeah. honest. So, that you know, it was getting it maybe from the local vitamin shop or GNC. Or the supermarket, which has you know, most supermarkets now sell a bunch of sports nutrition products. Oh, it's crazy. And I think that that athlete did test positive. And I'm I'm looking and I'm like, it's not surprising he did. Obviously it was unfortunate and maybe he wasn't trying to you know, be deceptive or take something, you know, he wasn't supposed to. But when you look at the process of going about it, I'm sure there were people that he's been able to work with at the UFC. If he trains at the UFC performance Institute out there in Vegas, they've got some really good practitioners that definitely know that they're doing, and they're never going to put their athletes in harm's way. Or maybe he was listening to somebody in his camp who was telling him, this is how you need to cut to get down and see all the things you need to take. So unfortunately it didn't work out in his favor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's actually just a a good rule of thumb too. So if you th- if you're concerned about safety NS- NSF is kind of like the governing body now is that the governing body that the NFL adheres to or is that the governing body that multiple professional organizations in the states adhere to
2: it's uh, it's multiple but the NFL is is definitely super supportive of nsf now yeah. at the college level that then you also get nsf and informed choice informed sport as informed well choice informed sport okay mm-hmm.
0: that's good to know yeah because i think there's i mean i've already said this multiple times there's like so much snake oil out there <laughs> yeah you know and especially like now i'm older and i try and make good choices but you know people who are listening who have young kids you know i mean kids are they see the supplements and they want every edge they can get to and so it's like i think that's probably something that's good for people to be aware of is like, look, is it being tested by a third party? And here's some of the third parties that you can be aware of that you can kind of vet out. Um, you know, some of the supplements that either you or, you know, your young athletes might be taking. Yeah.
2: And I was, I was in that same camp, you know, I played football. I was ran track in high school and I was reading the flex magazines and everything. And I'm like, I want to look like that guy he's so jacked. And then you see right. the advertisement right there in the middle of the magazine where he's taking this creatine and this protein. And then you have this automatic association because at that age, no one's really taught you about nutrition and yep. you haven't taken supplements before because it wasn't necessarily taboo, but, it wasn't anything that was on your radar. So there's association. Right. Like if I take this, I'm going to look like that. So I, mm-hmm. I felt a light and sinker. I spent more money on random stuff than I needed to for years yeah. up until I started learning about this stuff in, in college. And even then I was still very baseline, very broad, not, not in depth with my knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I probably, I have probably wasted thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on stuff that just doesn't work trying to chase the stream of looking like that guy or trying to be that lean. you know obviously yeah. now I know better and applying, you know the the basics will never ever not work for you. yeah, uh, that's that's what I don't want people to fall into the same trap that that I did and try to get you know have false hope when yeah. if I could go back and do it all over again, I totally would. you know because yeah. now i'm I'm armed with this knowledge and that's that's the goal is to share that knowledge with everybody else to help them get to where they want to be at this stage in their life.
0: Yeah. Well, we're very thankful that you're doing that. So actually, so that's a good point. Okay. So tried and true basics, Mm -hmm. right? The things that are proven to work, right? Like if you could go back and tell yourself at 18, like, look, this is the stuff that you really need. That'll actually help you move the needle. I'm sure we've talked about some of it. So there's protein, creatine, carbs, uh, this myth of, you know, needing to slam it within 30 minutes is not necessarily true unless you're doing like another intensive exercise, maybe later in the same day. Stop me if I get any of this wrong, because I don't want to be giving people <laughs> poor information. Um, any anything else, and then we can move on from from the supplement piece of it that people should consider. So I, I take glutamine. Actually, selfishly, I'll just ask you: mm-hmm. good, bad? Unnecessary. I, think, I think I think it
2: has its place. Now the the studies haven't been overwhelming with it, but if you're a person who either does a lot of fasting or controls your diet or manipulates it, so you have you know periods of lower intake. Or you're you're trying to lean out pretty significantly. I think it has has its role. Now the studies okay. haven't necessarily looked at those situations, so it hasn't been shown to be super beneficial, but it is, you know, one of the most abundant amino acids in the body and in times of extreme stress or trauma or stress or trauma caused by cutting out a lot of food or fasting. I think it definitely has its place. So ah, I'm not yeah. I'm not opposed to glutamine at all. I mean, I I take it in post workout form. Just because it's it's packaged in this creatine beta alanine mixture that I have, yeah. it's tasty, so I like it. Whatever, yeah. it's not hurting yeah, yeah, me yeah. at all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else? I mean, without being too super supplementing and throwing everything under the sun that everybody should be taking, because I think, you know, as long as you've got a well-rounded diet and you don't eat a lot of junk, and you mm-hmm. you try to eat like a lot of fresh fresh food, not a lot of packaged stuff. I mean, the a really good quality protein, whether it's you know, way, or, you know, if you're, you're plant-based, like a lot of people are, or you just, Mm -hmm. you have an allergy, you know, we've, we, I've worked Mm -hmm. with players in the past that have, you know, dairy allergies, so they can't do any way at all. Uh, some type of protein powder, um, an essential amino acid. I think this needs to be studied a lot more, but there's some emerging evidence that, you know, getting the essential amino acids as opposed to just chugging protein shakes all day can be definitely more beneficial. And the reason is you, you, you take protein in because it breaks down in the body into amino acids. Yeah. So you, you need these essential ones because the body can't make them. So if right. you get these eight or nine conditionally essential amino acids in the diet from a variety of different sources, I mean, the highest quality you're going to come from meat and animal products, then you're going to get these eight or nine, which you can make all these, these thousands of amino acids that the body needs. And that's the importance of eating protein consistently because you have this amino acid pool that turns over every day. So there's breakdown, buildup, breakdown, buildup, breakdown, buildup. Now training and lifting and doing a lot of stuff can accelerate the breakdown, that's why you need to have this amino acid pool consistently throughout the day. So if you're, if you're lifting, mm. it's what we talked about before, and you have this breakdown, you don't necessarily have to chug protein right afterwards, because as long as you, you know, over the course of the rest of the day, 24 hours, you have a positive net protein balance, then that's, that's means you're in positive net protein synthesis. You'll be able to build muscle over mm. that time span, unless you're an athlete who's just, you got lift, you got practice, or you've got, you know, this event, this event, this event, this event, Right, right, right. that, that changes.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so. so with, with, and because uh, I'm wondering, and maybe people listening are too. When you say the essential amino acids, does that mean? So, like, I actually supplement with BCAAs after I work out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that a? Because I know that's a, like, that's a no-no. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Talk to me. All right. Why, so, why is that is, a no-no?
2: This has been something that you know people have taken a hard line on for a really long time. So obviously, mm. the branched chain amino acids, uh, I see leucine, leucine and valine are are necessary because especially leucine that's what stimulates muscle protein synthesis the most that's the biggest trigger but it works best when it's in conjunction with the other conditionally essential amino acids so if you only take bca's you only have two other ones besides leucine so you need your 2.5 to 3 gram trigger to stimulate muscle protein synthesis but it's most effective when you take it with the other conditionally essential amino acids and they actually there's a study just published I, i read recently Within the past couple of weeks, that you even have a greater anabolic response if you combine a little bit of whey with some essential amino acids.
0: Okay. So instead so of. I'm, yeah. So if, so if I'm doing protein after, so here's what I do. I'm just. People listening are like, this is just so selfish. So <laughs> if I'm doing, because I just actually had a conversation. So and we'll get into this. My buddy, he's a commentator for ESPN. Uh, he does college basketball and he's a former uh, professional player in Europe um, he's trying to lose weight. So he mm-hmm. was asking about supplements. I was like, well, I can tell you what I can do, but we need to ask someone smarter. So you're that person who's smarter, who's getting asked. So I do uh, protein, I do uh, creatine glutamine. And then I also just put in a scoop of uh chain amino acids as well after, mm-hmm. is that okay? Is that okay? Or is that the no, no,
2: I would say you, everything you're doing is good you could probably swap out the bcas for like an essential amino acid mixture five or ten grams
0: Mm -hmm. okay
2: and again going back to the creatine study if you're if you're not super worried about assimilating creatine and maximizing muscle glycogen stores then you don't necessarily need you know the the perfect protein carbohydrate combo and then also there was also some evidence showing that if you have um some electrolytes with that so you're looking at like sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium, to go along with it, you you assimilate the creatine at a much faster rate as well.
0: It Mm -hmm. helps with uh, creatine transport. Okay. Um, I love those uh, electrolyte tablets. Which ones? Uh, Uh, Noon. noon, Okay.
2: Yeah. I mean, electrolyte tablets, I think it's one of the things that Uh, people kind of – That's missing in their diet because you know if you look at just all the micronutrients, especially some of the electrolytes outside of sodium, which is really easy to get in the diet. Yeah, sometimes for some people potassium can be easy. For a lot of people, if you're a heavy exerciser who restricts, that can be difficult. But mainly, I would say more for just getting adequate calcium if if you restrict dairy, but also magnesium. This is one thing that Mm. has been looked at quite a bit. Where the unfortunate thing is, if you if you got a blood test and you just look at serum magnesium, I'd say for 100% hundred percent of the population, your ranges are gonna be normal. And the reason is because if your magnesium levels seem to be low serum wise, you can you can resorb them from bone. So it's the body's you know, it's a mechanism that it, it just mm. uses to maintain homeostasis. So if you're just looking at serum magnesium, I've looked at biomarkers for hundreds of draws for hundreds of different athletes over the past, you know, five years or so. And yeah. not a single one was deficient in serum magnesium. That's why you want to actually go to looking at our RBC magnesium if you have the ability to look at it at your test. So it's the red blood cell bound magnesium. Hmm. And that's where you see more of those changes. And that's a better indicator of your overall magnesium status in the body.
0: Yeah, And it's not
2: exact and it's still, you know, a work in progress, but I think that's, one of those minerals that people need to be a little bit more aware of because it has so many different roles in the body. It, you know, muscle, nerve, um, relaxation, cognitive function—so many different things.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, and I actually, oh, I'm trying. Man, I can't remember. I read. I either read a book. Or I don't know. what I was listening to something, but you know, this idea that like to be well hydrated is to drink a lot of water throughout the day. <laughs> right. To just be, ch- and so, I mean, you, I, I have so many friends and I've been one of them. Like, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to drink, I don't know, 120 ounces of water. And they've got like their Nalgene bottle and like, they're just force feeding themselves water. And then I read something that's like, well, you can actually start like stripping your body of electrolytes if you like overhydrate mm-hmm. with just water. And it's like, what you should be doing is like replenishing like electrolytes, minerals throughout the day. And I was like, oh, wow. So, and that, that must've been how I got uh, put onto Noon. Because I didn't want to just drink like Gatorades, or I guess maybe that's what yeah. I thought my choice was. Um, But I, I, I again, it could be mental. But I actually think I feel better throughout the day, and I feel like adding that kind of to my like routine is something that has kind of like led me to have overall higher energy levels throughout the day.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's something that's really beneficial, and you know, and people sometimes, like you said, when they say get more electrolytes, they automatically think sports drink, but there's mm-hmm. a, a ton of different ways to get it in. Okay. Uh, whether if like, if you don't necessarily just want to get it through food, because not everybody's going to be able to optimize their micronutrient status. I don't think there's a single published study that shows that this type of diet can get you a hundred percent of every micronutrient, which would be almost impossible. So yeah. there was going to be some supplementation. I mean, I supplement with, um, not necessarily now because my workouts have been cut back pretty significantly, just given everybody's you know stuck inside and <laughs>
0: given the world is it? The yeah. You pandemic? know, the
2: intensity and yeah, it's crazy. I'm not out like running and sprinting, you know, don't necessarily have access to a field or anything like that, but I supplement with magnesium calcium. Cause I don't do a ton of dairy, but hmm. with high protein diets, uh, what happens is, the environment becomes acidic and it can leach calcium. So you necessarily, you definitely need to make oh, wow. sure that you get additional, especially
0: if you're also uh, a high caffeine user too. Oh boy. Yep. <laughs> Magnesium. Okay. I'm going to remember that one. Um, oh man. I had a, how are you on time by the way? Good. good. Yeah. You're good. Okay. Yeah. Stop me if, uh, cause I, I, I won't keep you for hours, but I, <laughs> it's so interesting to me and I'm glad that someone can finally answer a lot of this stuff. Um. One of the questions that I had for you, and we talked about like what your athletes are doing prior to a competition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my, my first question is, as it pertains to like nutrition and supplementation, um, you know, what is that window of time where you tell them to start thinking about optimizing their diet uh, leading up to a specific event? So the event for them is like the game Sunday night, maybe. Like how far in advance are you, are you having them think about like the preparation of their meals and, you know, the nutrition that's going to be at play the time of their actual game? You know, in a
2: perfect world, I'd say they they're mindful of it the entire week, but you know, these are human beings who have a lot on their minds and nutrition isn't the number one priority for them. It's my priority, but it's not theirs. So, you know, it's, it's my job to figure out how to get that information across to them. I would say, ideally 48 hours prior so you know for a Sunday kickoff they start thinking about it Friday but you know in a typical NFL season you've got and this is the standard way that things have happened and it seems to work a little bit different than how colleges implement their uh, strategies but oh, Sunday Sunday is the game. Monday team comes in they'll do some kind of movement lift. Tuesday's off, Wednesday, Thursday are more intense practices. Friday is a practice, but it's dialed down, and the guys are out of the building pretty easily okay. or pretty quickly. Saturday is kind of like your walkthrough, and then Sunday is a game. So everything mm-hmm. is strategically done to lead up to uh, game day. And some colleges have adopted that progressive Chip Kelly style where you know your, your game day is Saturday, Sunday is the off day, and then everything's back in on Monday and then it transitions heading into game day. So you don't have that off day two days after the game. You have it off after the game. So that just didn't – that hasn't set well with some NFL teams. Just the pros don't like it. I think the way it works right now is is set up to be the way it should be because getting the guys in the day after a game, just have them move around. Yeah. And not just sit and not do anything. That way Tuesday they can – kind of gather themselves, get rested, do what they need to. Hopefully they're moving and not just sitting on the couch the entire day because then the body's going to be tense. It's not going to allow for much blood flow, the tissues Mm -hmm. and, you know, the fascia are not moving, not doing what it needs to. It's not going to alleviate any soreness. So those players that don't move around on that Tuesday, come back Wednesday and they're super sore. it's like, you can't be super sore. This is our first install for the week. You know, we're trying to get ready for a game, which is in a few days. Yeah. you can't be thinking, "Oh, I'm sore." Da, 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 when you should be thinking, "What do I need to do on this play, or what do I need to learn from what I just didn't learn on the next right. play?" You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So for,
2: for nutrition, uh, you know, some good studies that they've looked at contact sports like rugby, rugby union, where you have increased energy expenditure up to three days after a game, and just mm-hmm. looking at respiratory exchange ratio, what the players are burning more of are, are carbs. Okay. So obviously, it makes sense. You know, it's yeah. just the physical demand of the game how much they're running, how much they're colliding, jumping, everything, sprinting. And then it kind of stabilizes and get, goes back to normal uh, heading into like the day before game. But at the same token, like you, when you periodize what that nutrition should look like, you obviously still need to take into consideration that they are lifting throughout the week. They are still practicing. So you don't want to just on a day where it's been studied that their their carbohydrate expenditure is down, which is a day or two days before the game, you mm-hmm. don't take it all away because they need to slowly still be Overloading their muscles, not overloading, but loading their muscles with muscle glycogen.
1: Yeah.
2: And, you know, most of these guys don't eat as well as they should, or, you know, they're super stressed and they didn't eat much for breakfast. And now they're rolling into a practice and they're barely fueled. Now they're basically running on fumes for the entire practice, but they're a vet and they're physically superior to most people. So they're able to get through it. <laughs> and now, you know, you play this game where trying to identify them is the main thing. Yeah. Getting them ready for Sunday is important. So, Uh, that's why I say seven days is, is optimal, but a lot of these guys won't start thinking about it until maybe Saturday morning. Okay. Because then they're like, Oh, I feel great. You know, we're not practicing, we're not lifting. Uh, I can start to think about, you know, getting everything ready, but there's a, there's a lot of things that NFL locker rooms do, you know, in terms of tradition, whether you're traveling they send the rookies to get, you know, whatever fast food, on, you know, the Saturday before we head to the buses and that's yeah. not going to change. So they're just scarfing down probably the worst options possible to get them ready for a game. You know, it's yeah. not, again, I, I tell them like, Hey, save it until after the game. We'll, we'll make the post game meal fun. You know, try to think about what you need to do to prepare because we only get 16 opportunities to play a game yeah. and careers are so short, you know, maximize it
0: and then yeah. have, have the fun, but just have the fun after. Right, right. So so you mentioned the worst possible option. What what would be the best possible options for people? Because and the, there's all sorts of, again, very few people in the US and the world are gearing up for like an NFL style <laughs> competition. But there's lots of people who do Spartan races. I do a decathlon once a year. Like, you know what I mean? Like for, for people who do want to like from a nutritional standpoint in that 48 hour window, like what are the things that you would recommend that they they try and do? nutritionally. I'd say just
2: stay with a a good consistent hydration plan and monitor their Mm. hydration levels because obviously dehydration can negatively impact performance, especially in endurance events
0: Yeah,
2: where, I mean, you might or in, in environmental events too. If it's hot uh, weather and humid, you're going to be sweating more. So you're going to lose more body water. It's going to be harder to replenish it. um, Which also plays a role in cognitive function Mm. and, you know, increasing muscle glycogen utilization. So I'd say, you're not going super crazy where you have to super compensate by eating like plates of pasta. I always go yeah. back to the, uh, the Michael, loading, Sc- right? Carl, yeah, the Michael Scott, he eats, uh, <laughs> a fettuccine Alfredo before a 5k. And he's yeah. never done that before. And then he throws up. <laughs> it's, it's if you, if you taper down appropriately, but your nutrition matches what that taper is. And then you make sure, you know, 72 hours leading into your competition mm-hmm. that you're, you're getting whatever, Carbohydrate range per kilogram, whether it's you know five to seven, or if it's an ultra type endurance marathon, yeah. something like that, upwards of like ten to twelve grams per kg. Uh, obviously, That's those athletes are more likely going to be smaller than football players, so it you know it's not a football player trying to eat ten grams
0: per kg of carbohydrates, which is insane. Yeah, uh, <laughs>
2: it's a three hundred and
0: thirty pound defensive lineman trying to eat that in carbs, uh, they'd probably enjoy it though. Quite frankly, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you let them during, but not right after. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So it's, so how, how does someone correctly monitor their hydration? Because that's something that I felt like the guide, the guide stick that I was given, uh, well now (laughs) we're getting into a whole weird thing, but what people told me to look for necessarily when I was like in high school, maybe, or in college might not really have been the best indicator of proper hydration. So like, what are the things you're telling your athletes to look for to ensure that like they're they're staying on track i think some of it is just
2: you know are, are they super thirsty during the day mm. you know thirst is a good indicator that you're you're dehydrated the body has a desire need for water that's why it's kicked in they can monitor their urine color but that's not always going to be uh, super indicative of their hydration status so say yeah, they take a vitamin or a pre-workout with a bunch of b vitamins and everything gets flushed they could right. be hydrated but the color of the urine um could be different i mean that happens to me after i take you know, my post-breakfast, like multivitamin, calcium, yeah, curcumin pill, you know, an hour or so later when I have to go to the bathroom again, even though I feel like I'm hydrated, I'm like, and it's like, you know. Neon. Like, like, lemon, like, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh man, but I'm like, all right, I got to understand that. Yeah. Um, what we try to do is there's a few different ways to actually, you know, if you get a sample of urine from players, you can you can assess it using, uh, you've got like a, a refractometer, a pen refractometer. So what it does, it reflects light so mm. it looks at just the number of solutes in the concentration. So regardless of color, you know, you put the pen in, click the button, it gives you a readout right then and there. So okay. it can tell you if you're hydrated, dehydrated, based on what that number of the readout is. There's a couple mm. other ways to do it, just checking urine osmolality too. Okay. Um, some Again, but the most invasive and quick, quickest one is to just use a pen refractometer. There are some strips, some reagent strips that you can urinate on and check. It gives you an idea, but from the research, it shows that that can be up to 70%, not very accurate. And mm. I mean, are you going to put stock in something that's that inaccurate just yeah. to gauge your status? Yeah. Um, those are some of the quick and easy dirty ways. And then monitoring weight, like weights, probably oh, one of the okay. easiest ones. So you know what your, your actual body weight is when you wake up, you go to the bathroom, weigh yourself, you know, completely naked. That's exactly what you're, you're supposed yeah. to weigh As long as you're hydrated, if you're dehydrated, the number's going to be down, obviously. Mm hmm. And then during camp, every football team in the nation, college pro weighs their players, you know, before and after practice to get an idea of what, what fluid losses are, because that's just the time of the year where it's, it's a huge spike in training load. It's the hottest time of the year, especially for us up here in the Northeast, it gets humid out. Um, So our first, our first, you know, a few weeks of training camp leading into the first few weeks of the season are generally going to be the hottest ones where we, we take extra, extra precautions about hydration. Not that yeah. it isn't important, but it's definitely more important during this time. And then, you know, we've got 13 or 12 or 13 weeks where oh, the weather changes and then it just gets cold and rainy and overcast and potentially yep. snowy, which is really funny because we get both ends of the spectrum. So understanding what their weight shifts are and making sure that by the time they weigh in the next day, Hmm. That there isn't a huge uh, deviation discrepancy. Yeah. discrepancy from that previous day's weight. So, you know, just and everything gets graphed out and we can see it. And if there's something going to miss, like pull them aside to say, Hey, we just need to make sure that you're, you're doing exactly what you need to be doing, because if you're not, then it's going to be really detrimental to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, performance wise. And then that's when guys look, I can't, I'm not gaining weight. I'm I'm dropping weight. And like, well, there's a variety of reasons. And one is you're just not monitoring, you know, your hydration status.
0: Yeah. No, it's funny. Like I've really tried to pay attention to hydration these last few years, um, which that might sound weird talking to someone who just like works in sales, but, um, I just noticed like, I feel better. I really do feel like I think clearer. Mm -hmm. Um, and it makes sense. What's the percentage of your body that's water? People always tell me this.
2: I mean, it, 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 there's a range of like 75 right? to, 80, yeah, yeah, okay. 70 to 80, the majority of your body's made up of water.
0: Yeah. So it would make sense that like, you need to be proper hydrated for everything to function properly. If, you know, if using my back of the napkin math, I'm like, okay, probably best to Absolutely. make sure that I'm, yeah.
2: Yeah. not just for like physical exertion. But as you said, I mean, you feel a lot better if uh, mm-hmm. you're dehydrated, it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to sleep properly. You have increased heart rate. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another telltale sign of if guys aren't hydrated going to sleep, it's going to affect their sleep. And if they wear like a sleep tracker or a ring, you can see those changes. And I can see them in myself too. If I didn't do a really good job of hydrating that day, you know, you have increased heart rate uh, yeah. during night time, your body temperature increases too.
0: And there's reasons for it. What's your stance on, um, like these biometric trackers. Cause there's, there's a whole like <laughs> flood of technology that's come onto the market. Um, are, are you guys, are you so it sounds like you use it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so are you using that to like make decisions throughout the day and like I assume then you're seeing you're seeing value in in some of these trackers? I think so. For me, the
2: only thing I really wear, I, mean, I don't I don't wear an Apple Watch or a Galaxy Watch cuz I have an Android phone mm. just because, you know, another thing that, you know, emits an EMF Wi-Fi signal. It's like I've got enough, you know, we're around so much of it all the time. We don't even know the long-term damage that it could potentially have. Yeah. Um, but I just wear the aura ring at nighttime. So I just keep it by my bed. There's a charging dock right there. It can go seven days without it needing to be charged. And I just like it because, you know, sleep is some, probably one of the most underrated things in our lifetime Mm -hmm. that we just don't appreciate. And I think for the longest time, you know, given working in coach sports type setting. It's all about, you know, how much you're doing. You got to be the first person in last person out. Yeah. Sleep when you're dead, even though we tell yeah. our athletes completely opposite things. So we're not practicing what we're preaching. Mm-hmm. It came to a halt where a couple of years ago, I just had this really bad sleep for like eight or nine months straight. To where I, you know, wake up at one o'clock, two o'clock and then go back to sleep. And this would happen every single day. I'm like, well, I got to get a handle on my sleep. So going back mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out, you know, what it was that I was doing wrong, you know, for the longest time, I'd always been an afternoon workout person. Like mm-hmm. that was me in college. That was me in grad school. That was me, my first few jobs working at different universities. And, you know, it'd be like, I take, you know, my pre concoction before that, you know, I right. had 200, 300 milligrams of caffeine and this is, you know, <laughs> four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, yeah. not necessarily knowing That obviously is still going to have half of that caffeine in my system 10 to 12 hours later. And that's going to impact deep sleep and the ability to get good quality sleep, even though I'm able to fall asleep. Yeah. Just learning, like just taking a deep dive in sleep and the rings has been really helpful in just kind of learning about what's going on when I sleep and Mm. what, what do I need to do the day of to get good quality sleep? It's kind of more of a, of a challenge than anything else. Like right. I won't make any decisions for myself based on, oh, you know, my readiness score is low. I can't work out today or my sleep was bad. I can't, I can't set foot outside today. It's like, no, you know, that just means I didn't do what I needed to do the day before. And I got to get back in a competition mode to get those scores up. Right. And and you feel the difference. Like you don't feel oh, yeah. tired during the day. Like I know when you know. Obviously, back when we had access to weight rooms, it feels like so long ago. Yeah, I know. Given we we're in quarantine mode, like if well, I if now, I check my I... ring and I know it's a it's a lift day, and my readiness score is up and my you know sleep score is up, that means like not only am I gonna have a, a really good long duration workout, I can try to attack some heavy weights, hmm. you know, push it a little more. As opposed to if sleep score was down, I know that. I won't be able to hit those heavy weights, but if the readiness score is down, I know that fatigue is going to come a lot earlier in yeah. that session. So that kind of just allows me to kind of really go for it when I've, when it's perceived to show that my body is ready for it.
0: Yeah. It's funny. So this, uh, gosh, I sh- should know this, but th- this is maybe gonna be like our 12th or 13th episode. When this comes out, people are listening. You're going to look at their phone and be like, it's the 11th, you idiot. <laughs> but, um, it's funny, w- within the, the first 12, I've had two sleep experts on because kind of, we, we don't need to get into this, but one of the things that why I want to start this podcast is as I got married, as I had kids and as I started working, I was trying to do it all and including like be the first one to work, like knock it out. You know what I mean? And then still like before that, I would get up and work out and eventually like the wheel started to come off because I was just burning myself out. And so I kind of went on this own path of self-discovery. That sounded way more like, you know, I'm up on a mountaintop (laughs) than I intended it to. But I was like, man, I need to make some changes because I can't keep this up. Like cracks are starting to show. And one of the things I was looking at is like, I keep trying to fit everything in and I'm squeezing out sleep. And on top of that, like I'm not sleeping well. And some of that was the stuff with just having kids. But when I, when I remade sleep a priority and one of the ways um, that I went about doing that is I read a book called sleep. Do you, do you know, are you familiar with Nick Littlehales? He can't no. he, so he, uh, I mean, he's, he's kind of prominent for a number of reasons, but how I found out about him was, did you ever hear the story about British cycling and like uh, the games? games? Yes. Yeah. So he yeah. was the sleep coach. Um, oh, nice. for British cycling. So anyways, he has an awesome book. And what I liked about his book was it gives like, it, it's not so much like the study of sleep. It was like, Hey, if you're looking to sleep better, like here's things that you can start to do to try and like improve the quality of your sleep, improve your routine. Like it's kind of like what you're talking about, like working out at four or five, taking 300 milligrams of caffeine, like probably not conducive to you, like getting quality sleep or being able to yeah. fall asleep at a decent time. Right. So, um, by reading that, I was like, okay, here's some changes I can make. And t- I mean, no exaggeration that had a better impact on the quality of my life, let alone my workouts than anything else. So I'm glad to hear that from your perspective, like sleep is one of the most important things that you and, and your athletes can be doing. Are, are, are you spending time talking to your athletes about the importance of sleep as it pertains yeah. to recovery?
2: Yeah, we, we've got a sleep consultant, so we will be able okay. to do some more in-depth uh, questionnaires. We also have a really good athlete sleep screening questionnaire that we're going to try to implement with the guys just to identify if there any issues. And hmm. then also see, like are these guys you know, owls or are they larks? Because then that gives I, a better I, I idea. I, I
0: was going to ask you about that. Okay. You know, how,
2: how their day should be dictated, how much light they should get at certain times, what they should do when they go home. Wow. Now, obviously, we can educate them. We can provide them all the resources. They're going to have to want to do it. You know, you're going to have guys that buy and you're going to have guys that aren't. You have guys that want to buy an aura Ring and check it out and some that don't. You have guys that buy it, that don't wear it. I mean, it's all this, all these different things. But um, in terms of just the the day-to-day communication, I mean, that's one of my tasks outside of nutrition recovery and strength is to kind of, you know, try to provide some insights on sleep because there is a strong correlation between nutrition and sleep and its impact. And, you know, a lot of studies that show if you're deficient in certain micronutrients, Uh, it's going to impact sleep quality, sleep latency. If you take certain micronutrients Mm -hmm. at a certain time of day, it's going to impact sleep latency, sleep quality, which is awesome because that allows us to answer, ask questions to our players and then come up with solutions based on what they reply with. You know, is it a a diet induced thing? Is it a stress reduction? induced thing? Is it a lifestyle thing where they could be just drinking and taking caffeine and smoking, yeah. you know, or are they dehydrated. So it allows us to kind of check a bunch of different boxes by asking them a lot of different questions. But yeah, I think sleep, sleep is huge. And, you know, it also impacts their ability to recover and to you know, expend energy, it changes, you know, the fuel source that they end up using throughout the day. So if guys are trying to put on muscle mass or trying to lean out and they're not getting enough sleep, then that's yeah. like step one. I mean, they could be doing everything right. And the same thing with anybody else that's the non athlete. Mm-hmm. If you if your nutrition seems to be dialed in, you're eating, you know, really high quality foods, the calorie content isn't in, insane, you know, you're working out really hard, but you're still struggling to lose weight. I mean, sleep, breathing, these kind of things, stress management techniques are probably more of the foundational pieces that you need to work on mm. and, and and check out first. And then build everything on top of that. Because you see it all the time. People fail, you know, with with lifting programs and training programs and nutrition programs and not get the results they want because, yeah. you know, they're not sleeping very much. They have a high stress life or job, or they're just they don't have any outlets for stress. They, you know, they're mouth breathers. They don't, you know, they right. go, which also plays a role with the ability to sleep. Readers. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, sleep, sleep, like I said, is one of the most underrated things in our lifetime. And, you know, I'm glad that you've had a couple people like experts on to talk about it. And it's definitely something that we don't shy away from when we talk to our players.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. And I'm so fascinated by it. And I'm so fascinated that when I talk, so the, f- the first woman we had on, she works with the Rand Corporation and she does a lot of stuff uh, helping trying to inform the military, but mm-hmm. she's uh, one of her big agenda items is like helping roll back school start times in America Oh yeah, for adolescent teens. Cause like we're getting them out of bed. And so she's, she's leading that charge. Um, that's actually how I got put in touch with her. But uh, yeah, it's so interesting to me, but to hear that, like, as a area of research, it's still so new. Yeah. You know, like, like the, the, the resources just haven't been dedicated to understanding it. And, uh, it takes up such a huge, I mean, portion of our life, but like to your point, it just touches everything. Right. So that's crazy. Um, okay. I know we're, we we've been going at this for a while. So I have one last question. So my buddy who I mentioned, and this is, I mean, countless friends, um, in terms of, you know, kind of where they're at in life, they work a full job, but they're getting to the gym maybe four or five times a week. But like, they're still having trouble like leaning out, Mm -hmm. right? So they're not, they don't have the demands of an NFL player. But if someone is still looking to get to the gym, like lift, say four times a week, and they're trying to lean out, like from a dietary standpoint, like what are the sort of things that they should be trying to do? Is I think it,
2: it, Yeah, in general, it's you know, identifying what your eating opportunities and what an eating window is during the day. Obviously, since they're not trying to be, you know, a Pro Bowl NFL caliber player, then yeah. you know, eating, you know, six, seven times a day we're keeping up your metabolism, which was once, you know, I, I said those things years ago before I continued to research and learn is is not the, the norm now. Obviously, we're getting mm. more into time-restricted feeding, fasting, things of that nature. And, you know, it's it's not anything that I throw out there for our players because – I was
0: going to ask you about that. I don't don't want to keep it longer
2: than (laughs) – They they think about it and they hear about it, but – And there are ways you could potentially try to do it, you know, whether it's be smart about when you're eating, maximizing the times that you eat. So, obviously, eating around workouts – uh, if you're trying to lean out getting a consistent amount of protein, manipulate your carbs around your workouts, which is going to be really important,
0: especially if someone who if your friend's not trying to go full on keto or anything like that. And does that mean manipulate your carbs mean when you do eat carbs, try and do that after a workout?
2: I would say get the bulk of your carbs before and after your
0: workouts. Before and after workouts. Okay. Yeah.
2: Try and try to like if your if your friend works out in the afternoon, then obviously it's going to be a little bit more difficult mm. where he could probably hold off at breakfast, maybe get it pre and post workout, and then maybe something later on in the day. So he's only eaten, well, like three or four times total, but just getting, you know, proper nutrition around those times. Uh, Understanding that, again, you don't have to eat five, six, seven times a day to keep your metabolism up. That's not true. Okay. Where if you, if you hit your caloric mark, I mean, you can do it in an eating window, whether it's this, you know, eight hour eating window, 12, I, I eat in a 12 hour window. Yeah. Which is fine with me, and, and that works for me. I eat four total times per day on lift days and only three times on, on rest days. Yeah. Now I eat, I eat higher carb, and again, this is what works for me. I'm not saying your friend do exactly this, but if it makes sense yeah. for him, he can try it out. I go higher carb, low fat, um, high to moderate protein on the lift days, and then okay. the other days I don't work out at all, or I just do like morning uh, fasted cardio, which I think is has been uh, – Oh, it's a positive thing like just modern intensity stuff
0: i do that as well and i feel like i see benefit from that and to your point (laughs) i suppose that could just be very like uh the way i respond to it but um is there is there research to back up that fasted cardio would be more beneficial to like fat loss than uh say someone who you know is like I, i can't work out on an empty stomach
2: It depends on the case, but I think what the research has shown that it is beneficial. So say, you know, you have a a day you want to do fasted cardio, or it's just a day you feel like moving a little bit more. Again, the intensity Mm -hmm. is going to be moderate. You're only doing it for 20 or 30 minutes. And this could just be walking outside. okay. Honestly, or it could be walking on a treadmill. It could be just doing some bike stuff. Yeah. Uh, It could be doing the Stairmaster. Not to where, like, if you can't hold a conversation with somebody, if they were next to you, then you know, you're going too fast and everybody's got a different fat max zone based on heart rate and VO2 max. So it's hard to me just to say that he needs to be in this zone, but that those are kind of the, the basic guidelines. So yeah. if he, he took some essential amino acids and some caffeine before that, hmm. uh, that way it's not truly a fasted state, but you actually have some amino acids to help prevent any muscle ca- catabolism. And he can still stay somewhat fasted since it isn't a huge caloric demand that the body would need. And essentially
0: uh, now you, we went over this earlier, but I just want to make sure I'm st- so the essential amino acids, you're taking an actual essential amino acid supplement, and that's not the BCAAs. Yes, correct. Uh, so they've got pills and
2: they've got powders. Like there's mm. there's tons out there.
0: All right. I got to change it up.
2: <laughs> I've been doing it all wrong. And wow. again, to, your, to the point with you for your friend is, you know, manipulating that carbohydrate intake around, you know, those workout days. If there's a day where he's not really doing anything, obviously you, you cut down on the intake. You may go a little bit higher fat. Yeah. Uh, a little higher protein
0: lower the carb, on the non-workout, on the non-workout
2: day. days. So you're just matching yeah. what's going on. The same thing we would tell our players is, look, you, you got to see what your energy demands are. If it's a guy who's yeah. trying to lean out because, yeah. and there's also some really good research. I just read that if you uh, had a, I think it's a, an overall a 25% caloric uh, decrease in your intake over the course of a week, so whatever it's calculated at, and you did, 25 consistently for seven days a week, as opposed to you did 35% uh, decrement Monday mm-hmm. to Friday. And then you went hundred percent on Saturday and Sunday as like a refeed day, you actually had better losses in fat, more better maintenance in muscle mass. So that's where you can kind of get more of a refeed day on those uh, off days and the weekends. So say he works out, you know, Monday to Friday and then yeah. doesn't really do anything or, or you can still do fast cardio, but mm-hmm. eat a little bit more not just eating just crap food, but, you know, increasing the caloric intake. So if you want to have, you know, a bunch more carbs, you want some potatoes, you want some pasta, then yeah. you could end up doing that for that hundred percent day, which still would equate to 25% caloric loss for the entire week. So they did that for seven weeks and then they looked at it again. So that's where, you know, you don't want to just stay in this caloric decrement all the time, because what happens is, you know, you're going to, alter your your muscle glycogen enzymes you're going to alter your hormone um those uh satiety hormones like ghrelin and leptin and all that and you you want to stimulate some of that you don't want to just put it at bay by eating at this caloric level which is much lower than baseline all the time that's why having those refeed days built in
0: are beneficial okay so I, i'm gonna say this back to you you tell me if I understood it right. <laughs> okay. So it's more beneficial if you are going to do like some sort of like deficit, right? Over the course of a week to have at least one day, like let's say, let's call it Sunday where you're not mm-hmm. working out, you're not doing anything, where you actually don't worry about eating at a deficit. It's actually mm-hmm. better to just like eat, not, not go crazy or go crazy.
2: Uh, at a hundred percent intake. So not, not overdo okay. it where it's like you know, biscuits and gravy and yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, pancakes and syrup. And then you had a whole pizza and then you had burgers and fries and you're looking at 5,000 calories for the day is over. And now you want to eat to a hundred percent. So just match what you're expending.
0: So did you, okay. So at, at the risk of sounding like I'm I'm willing to try any fat out there, did you read uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour body that came out? Like, yeah. That, that's this kind of falls in line with at least one of the things mm-hmm. he was talking about, right? Um, but it sounds like there's research, maybe there was at that time, but, um, research kind of supports it, this idea of like having at least one day a week where you're eating a hundred percent, no deficit is actually more beneficial than staying at a deficit every single day, just kind of in perpetuity. Mm -hmm.
2: And I think for, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I think for a lot of people, it's just understanding that most people eat a lot more than what they're actually thinking. So tracking is really important. Okay. So there's nothing uh, wrong with weighing your food dude. and just kind of getting an idea. Like, not everybody has to do it, but if if you're yeah. not sure yeah. and you feel that you know you, you, you want to do it right and you feel confident in it, there's like I, I sometimes I'll, I'll weigh protein portions. So hmm. I've got a food scale, so I know that on those uh, high fat, higher protein days, I'll have at least eight to ten ounces of of meat. Mm -hmm. At a mealtime. And on my high carb days where I cut down the protein, I'll have, you know, four to six because I'm smashing so many more other cards. I want to make sure that I'm not just staying high on everything because then the caloric intake just goes through the window and I'm not necessarily matching the goals that I'm trying to meet. Interesting. And I think there's nothing wrong with eating like within a certain window. So people, some people say, well, you know, you don't want to eat too late or, you know, it's okay to eat later on. There's a lot of different schools of thoughts. So my last meal will probably be after we stop talking. You know, I'll have, I really don't do anything crazy because I've already had two monster meals and I already lifted earlier this morning with my band push up whatever workout at home.
0: Um,
2: So I try not to be, I try to get most of my calories the early part of the day, not only because it's when I work out, but because that's what the research shows is you're probably better off with maintaining weight and reaching body weight goals, getting the bulk of your Mm -hmm. calories earlier on the day, instead of trying to get it later on in the day, obviously, because that also starts playing a role with. You know, influencing insulin, you know, messing with sleep, especially if you eat really late, your body's trying to digest it all. That increases, uh, there's some caloric expenditure that increases body temperature. Um, it starts throwing things out of whack, makes it a lot more difficult to sleep. And we know that we need adequate and proper sleep to be able to, you know, build that muscle, get that growth hormone pulsing, repair all the damaged tissues and cells, and then be able to stay lean or get lean. Yeah. And then another thing is just being comfortable with being hungry. So this is true mm. for anybody that's trying to lean out like the second somebody's stomach grumbles, even if they're whether they're trying to lose weight or not. Like the first instinct is to grab food is because that's how we are as a society. Food is within arm's reach anywhere you go. I and mean, hopefully for everybody, even now around the world, given that we're quarantined, right. it still holds true. And now this is big during this time. We know that you know energy expenditure is going to be decreased because people aren't going out and about. I mean, you're, you're sitting yeah. at home and you're not working out the entire day. You're not going up and down the stairs 20 times. You're not doing what you normally do and getting your 10,000 steps in unless you really are. So, mm-hmm. you know, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis goes down. You're not going to be able to work out as much or consistently or do as much as you normally would if, you know, you had access to a full gym. So I know right. for me, that's decreased too. So not only has your physical activity, caloric expenditure decreased, your overall just non-exercise activity caloric expenditure decreases. So then something has to change there too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: that that was a whole different topic, but I was talking about people just need to be comfortable with being hungry. And when I talk to athletes and people that are trying to lean out or lose weight, they say, well, what if I'm hungry? I'm like, that's exactly where you want to be. That's the body saying, all right, now I'm trying to get into a little bit of a fasted state. We're we're doing something here. Uh it's okay to do that obviously you don't want to do it for 24 48 hours unless you're really trying to do a challenge right but the being comfortable with being hungry is a good thing that's how you know that you're getting to that stage where all right there's stuff going on in the body you know it's asking for food normally what you do is you you appease it by eating something but that's not what you want to do or what you want to try mm-hmm. to do that's why you might want to eat less overall throughout the day in certain windows and not just just eat to where you start feeling full so when you're eating people that are trying to lose weight start with your proteins and your, your higher fiber foods, like your vegetables, and yeah. then go to your fruit and then go to your carbohydrates. Yeah. And then maybe, maybe even just getting in a, in a really good parasympathetic state before eating. Cause people are just sometimes just really hopped up and they're like, I got to eat, eat, eat. You know, the yeah. body's not in a space where you can really facilitate good digestion and break down all the food it needs to. So just kind of breathing, just sitting maybe for like 10 or 30 seconds just feeling calm, breathing normally through the nose, into the nose, out through the nose
0: Right and then, oh, and and then attacking
2: att- your food instead of just going straight for it.
0: Yeah. That's something that I only recently kind of became, I mean, I, I feel like everyone now has at least heard the term microbiome, but, um, I was just reading a book called gut. I don't know if, if you're aware of that one. Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Julia Enders. She's actually German. I was trying to get on the show and then I realized <laughs> we, we speak a different language. so we're to do that. <laughs> but, uh, Yeah, and what struck me is like I have young kids, and part of that book was like, look, like this like tradition of forcing your kids to eat and like creating like this kind of tension and anxiety around food can actually be like harmful to their digestion, Mm -hmm. and so that kind of falls along with what you're saying, like getting this parasympathetic state, and so to do that, that that, that's kind of, um, stop me if I oversimplify this, but this idea of like fight or flight, Mm -hmm. right? If you're like constantly in this like stressed induced state um, it, it, it's worthwhile to like, take a moment you're saying to like, calm down, try and get yourself to relax. And then that could actually help improve like the digestion and kind of like your, is, is it also true? Like for your body's ability to like absorb the nutrients and like,
2: if you're able to, you know, chew it properly down to, you know, I think it's like 25 to 35 uh choose per swallow and most people don't do that it's like one two oh, three God. swallow oh but yeah and it's it's funny the way that we're, we've kind of transitioned over the years to just inhale our food and i, I was guilty of that i'm yeah. still guilty of it okay. trying to be more mindful of it 25 to
0: 30 it. choose per swallow Oh no yes 25 to yeah. 30 that, if, might be if, a, that might be the biggest takeaway from this whole I need, <laughs> I need to change the way I'm and it, it's
2: tough because even when i try to do that it's not pleasurable it's, it's more pleasurable to just take a couple chews and then swallow your food but when you yeah. chew it all the way down then it's like oh this is just mush <laughs> so like you said it, it's getting in that good parasympathetic right. state you know the body is not stimulated you don't have you know heart rate's not elevated Cortisol's not flowing that allows mm. for digestion to flow naturally you know it you have appropriate gi transit time to where the stomach's going to take care of just getting everything in that acidic environment and again yeah. the, you know there there's a role for the body having certain acidic environments. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. all about chugging all these alkaline foods and drinking that high pH water. Cause it doesn't do anything. That's another topic right. for another day.
0: We just say, we just save uh, people some money, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and being able to control your blood glucose by eating, you know, the, the higher protein, higher fiber vegetables and then going to everything else. I mean, that, that's another big point for people that are trying mm-hmm. to, you know, lose weight or lean out is do things that can help control blood glucose levels. And not only is it just the way you act, you know, exercising, how much sleep you get, but, you know, things like taking cold showers first thing in the morning, you know, being in a very parasympathetic state when you eat, eating the proper foods in a certain way. Um, and th- that can help. And a lot of these small different tactics can add up over time. You know, if you think about it, maybe it, it's like five calories here, 10 calories here, whatever it is.
0: Right. No, and uh, so I'm so glad you said that because so one of my big gripes is people try and I understand I, I I so sympathize with why they do it um, because they're looking for some sort of diet that works for them that helps hopefully get them to whatever their goal weight is or their goal you know lean body mass or physique um, but it's I, I feel like a lot of people they give up on it too early right because they don't see the results out the gate and what I feel like you just said is. It's about like small, maybe incremental. I mean, we just talked about incremental gains, but uh, small wins over time, right, can, can get you there. And it, it could be a combination of a, multiple factors that get you a small incremental gain, right? Right. Um, they, they could ultimately mm-hmm. move you to your, no, home. that's
2: so true. And again, everybody yeah. wants the quick fix. It's just how we're built as humans in modern day society, because we have access to any and yeah. everything under the sun. Even now, you know, everybody's quarantined, but you could still work. You have meetings through zoom. You can order food and groceries yeah. online. And, you know, luckily all the postal delivery services are still available. So you can still get everything to you, even though we don't, we're not necessarily supposed to be going out. Yeah. But the same way that weight gain happens slowly over time, you know, it's not just, oh, two weeks happen and shoot, 30 pounds, 40 pounds. It's something that happened over the course of time. There's a lot of confounding factors, whether it's the food you eat, the lack of inactivity, uh, or lack of activity, stress, poor sleep, Mm -hmm. you know, hormones are out of whack. Uh, again, when you, when you're trying to reach a task like losing weight. The goal isn't to lose weight. The goal is to do these small steps every single day over the course of a week, over the course of a month, over the course of a few months. So over time, you're going to see the progress Mm -hmm. and you're going to develop these habits because I just either read something or saw something. I don't know if it's been published or studied, but it takes 66 days to ingrain a habit. I don't know. I don't know if it's to break a habit, yeah. but to ingrain a habit. That's a long amount of time. So if you're one of those people who isn't consistently working out, you, you probably want to do it for over the course of two months or so, 66 days, which isn't a right. ton amount of time in the grand scheme of things. But when you hear 66, it's like, oh man, that seems like a lot. You know, I have to do a diet for 66 days. It's like, well, no, you just have to be more mindful and be smart about what you're eating. You know, when you sit down to eat, you know, we yeah. obviously overestimate our portion sizes. You know, I do it too. So eat slower. Eat till you're about 80% full. It's a great uh, Japanese proverb. I think it's called Harihachi Bunmi. Eat till you're 80% full mm. because it takes time for <laughs> food to get digested, for the hormone sensation to get kicked up back to your brain to say, hey, I'm full. So if you eat really fast, yeah. you're just going to consume more calories by the time that signal gets sent to your to your stomach. So when, you, when you're eating consistently, you're eating slowly, you're mindful about you know, the food that you're eating, the order that you're eating it, you know, you're, you're not going super fast. Uh, then you're going to be able to slow down that process and not eat as much. And then if you, that if you no, don't eat to you sense. full, cause we all feel like we just, if food's on our plate, we have to stuff ourselves. So it just means taking smaller portions to begin with, but mm-hmm. instead of just eating till we feel like we're super satiated and then feeling sick, just no, eat to your 80% full. And then the rest of the time, the rest of the digestion is going to happen. And that signal is going to get sent to your brain to say, you know, you know, you're right. I stopped at the right time. That was the perfect amount of food. Yeah. I, I say that a lot when I go out to eat or what I'm w- with friends or cooking something, Put you know, what I think is the right amount of food on the plate, eat it. And I said, and I, I feel like I hit the 80% mark. And then the fullness then comes and I'm like, shit, I, that was a perfect amount of food.
0: Right. Yeah, Yeah. I totally blow, <laughs> I blow right past that 80%. And I also convinced myself, I'm like, well, you worked out really hard today. So is there any truth to you can outwork a bad diet? To an extent, but I think it just depends on... Yeah. Because there's the extremes. This is the example I mean, okay, like yeah, yeah. Michael well, I mean, Phelps. He, <laughs> You know, like the Olympic swimming, like, it, it, you know, everyone talks about how many calories he ingested, but he was also working out. It one, was like, it was three like three seven hours a day. day. He was
2: burning 10,000 calories. I mean, you can't just eat brown rice and you know potatoes and banana like you got to have some some fun stuff in there too just to get just to hit the caloric amount because otherwise the amount of fiber and the fullness he would feel from doing that he wouldn't be able to hit that and then he'd just be dropping weight Mm -hmm. performance to go out the window he wouldn't be the most decorated gold medal Olympian in the history of of world sport ever yeah ever ever ever.
0: yeah okay that's good to know and then uh all right last one because i want to ask you about <laughs> veganism i want to ask about all this stuff do you actually well and you don't even need to go into it but do you have any athletes uh that, that hold to a vegan diet i know there's some pretty prominent nfl players uh who, yeah who there, are vegan there's some you that you know kind of test it out team?
2: try it out just because they'd seen the documentary or you know they've, they've heard a lot more about plant-based yeah. diet even though i don't know if the name plant-based and vegan are exactly synonymous because some governing bodies do say it is, but then some don't. So again, it's, it's, it's not something I outright tell guys they need to do. And the reason is when you look at what are the, what the demands are Mm -hmm. for an NFL football player, what are the micronutrients, the macronutrients that are needed for them to be healthy, but to also function at a high level. And a lot of those products are going to come from meat products and animal products. And Mm -hmm. that's just the benefit you get. Now, is there a way to supplement? Because I've worked with some in the past that say, you know, I want to go vegan. These are the foods that I'm planning on eating. These are the foods I'm not eating, just in terms of what they were doing on the non-animal, non-meat side. And I'm like, all right, well, based on what you tell me, yeah. what you've cut out, these are the, you know, micronutrients that you're not going to be getting in, whether it's like omega-3, creatine, collagen, you know, whey protein, calcium. Because I know, like, if they already say they're not going to get it from the plant, alternative, then they have to supplement. So what we ended up putting together was just this massive bag with all these options for them to take to meet the needs of the deficiency. And it was just insane of what, Mm. yeah, it's just so much now. It doesn't mean that people can't be successful. There's a lot of people that can be successful. And I think you see a lot of that more in more, maybe like individual type athletes or non team sports where you have players that are 300 plus pounds or play at the level and intensity because sometimes it's just hard to meet those energy demands. And know a lot of NBA players have gone vegan over the past year or two. And then yeah, yeah, you, know, you sure. have um, these news snippets or in interviews with them saying that they just couldn't meet their energy needs and they got bored of it. So they had to switch back. And the main thing is like, there's nothing wrong with people eating more, more plant-based foods like fruits and vegetables, you know, good quality carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates. I mean, that's obviously exactly what the guys need to be doing. But if you, if you source high quality meats and you're not just eating like fried food all the time, you know, there's, there's nothing that says that any player can't be healthy. So the ones that go from eating their mixed animal omnivorous diet, omnivorous diet to plant-based, like one, they were already doing the omnivorous diet wrong. Like it was, it's atrocious when you hear what they're eating, it's Mm -hmm. a high processed stuff, a lot of sugar, a lot of candy, a lot of fried foods, you know, things that nobody would really recommend to them to begin with. So they go from this horrible spectrum to complete opposite where they're eating like this very diet of a lot of fruits and vegetables and, you know, a lot more plant-based type options, not meat options. And it's like, well, that's what you should have been doing anyway, but include Mm -hmm. back, you know, things like salmon include back like grass fed beef and steak and really great chicken and free range eggs, stuff like that, that they could afford.
0: Yeah. No, then uh, I feel like, and again, in no way am I a nutritionist, but it seems like if you were to just start making just good common sense decisions, that would be such a great place to start. Right. Like to your point, it's like, Eat vegetables. The meat that you eat, make sure it's high quality, and mm. try and cut out processed junk. Like for everyone listening, is that probably like a great <laughs> Cause, place? Because you start. can do plant based you know horribly I mean? too.
2: Like if I ate bagels and cereal yeah, and all that, yeah, you could you call it. yourself
0: vegan and plant based. Fries,
2: fried. You know, yeah. I'm like, there, there's there's a right way and a wrong way to do both. And I've said this before, and people might not yeah. agree with me just okay. because it's the hot topic. Of you know, all these different diets that come out, whether it's been they've been done for long times or not they're fads and their lifestyles. So right now veganism is a fad and it's a lifestyle yeah. because it's a hot topic before it was last year. It was keto before that it's, you know, like whole 30 before that it's paleo and then it's zone and it's Atkins. They're all fads and they're all lifestyles. People are going to stick around and do it because yeah, yeah. they believe in it, but it's going to come and go. The next thing that's comes out, there's going to be another thing next year and there's going to be another thing the year after that. But the tried and true things that players need are just going to be the basics you know, basic sports nutrition concepts, same thing mm. goes for, you know, your recreational athlete, your friends, yourself, myself, just, you know, yeah. the, the basics will always get you there. And then you got to build, you got to look at your, your situation because there's no one singular diet that can meet the needs of everybody. And that's, that's true. Not one singular one, even yeah. though you have the zealots on both sides that, you know, try to preach their agenda, which I think is hilarious. I mean, you just look at, people historically yeah. you know their genetic backgrounds their anthropological uh status like what their ancestors ate and that's what they're more predominantly going to be able to to do you know they're going to and that's going to dictate hmm. because that's how their genetics are and it's hard if you look at generations and generations to change that so whatever you know european ancestors yeah. ate whatever african ancestors ate whatever you know asian ancestors ate that's what's going to probably more in line with what your DNA can handle and your genetics can handle more. So, I mean, they have all these genetic tests out there, but nothing right. is really, uh, valid and reliable because you know, people have taken the same genetic background, same person has taken multiples and you get different results for all of them. So it's hard to just say like, all right, now we need to go 100% in on, on the ancestry and mm-hmm. the genetics type stuff in terms of just lifestyle and nutrition and training.
0: Yeah. Now, you know, that, that's probably a, gr- a great place to end too. But I, I, I tend to believe like, and it sounds like with nutrition, like most things in life, it's like just try and make good <laughs> common sense choices and stick to them yeah. over time. Is that fair? Or am I, 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 I not think it's people words understanding,
2: you know, their health status too. Like people who've never done a blood draw and don't know what their mm. markers are. If you're deficient in something, if you have excessive amount of something, I think that's
0: also another really good place to start is, Okay, see, and I've never, I've never done that, and I'm, I'm quite frankly, like I could probably look it up, but I'm a little confused. Like, where, where do you so even you, go to get something like that done? Because so I went to go my, to your doctor. Yes, yeah, you know,
2: again, every state's different. Some states you can order a kit online, like a Spectrocell or some kind of yeah. Diagnostics testing, and you can go to a local like phlebotomist. Okay. You don't have to go to your your primary care physician yeah. to do it. New Jersey's different. You're not, okay. you're not allowed to do that, so you have to go see your doctor. So when we when we do the draws for all oh, the players, the center physician, you know, supervision and all that, everything gets signed oh. off. Hmm. But I think it's huge. It's something that I've, I've tried to take a really deep dive in since I'm in charge of kind of implementing some of our, our – I guess, policies and procedures based on what the player's biomarkers are. Cause I think it's really insightful just to kind of learn this information. And if you don't know if someone's deficient in certain micronutrients, like I, I was talking about before, this is what we look at with their biomarkers. And, and yeah, one of the main okay. ways to optimize health status is to correct deficiencies. I mean, everybody wants the silver bullet of what should I be taking? What diet should I be doing? Like one is identify where you're deficient. Like if you're trying yeah. to do this one, diet out of left field which is super deficient you're already deficient in a lot of things like you've got low vitamin d you've got a horrible omega-6 to 3 ratio you have got a low omega-3 index percent in the body you know your your albumin's low it's like you have elevated creatine kinase levels you know your testosterone's out of whack your cortisol measured throughout the day is excessively high i mean those are the places to really start first and then implement your diet Based on hmm. what's going on with your body, not based on what some Instagram, Twitter, whoever told you to do because they ended up, you know, being really successful yeah. and losing a bunch of weight. Well, they're so different than you. They don't have the same lifestyle, same problems, same schedule. Even even myself, you know, when I was a, yeah. in grad school at K-State and I was working with the K-State men's basketball team, I was super lean. I was doing a lot of lifting, a lot of like West Side type uh, methodology mixed in. Yeah. Mixed in uh, with some like uh, yeah. high intensity yeah. workouts. So like combining CrossFit and some weightlifting and I was super lean, like on the DEXA I was yeah. 10 or 11%. And even for that, that overestimated. So I was mm. probably in the teens and in the low uh, digits and I yeah. was, I was eating a certain way. I had a certain schedule and I know exactly what I did. And as, as I progressed in my career, obviously things change. Like my schedule's different. I'm not getting as much sleep, my access to gym equipment and to be able to, to do the exact same diet change. So I tried to implement the same thing because I wasn't as lean as time progressed. So even myself doing with the same genetics, trying to do the same program I'm done before, I was never able to reach those levels. I was eating almost the exact same thing, trying to do the exact Mm. same type of workouts to the best of my ability. So that just meant that I got to assess my situation and identify what do I need to change based on what's going on with my life? What has changed now from then and what, what do I need to do? So completely was able to overhaul that, you know, with different methodologies, implementing different things that I've learned and researched. And now obviously yeah. fortunate enough to be back in, you know, the single digits and be able to maintain that. And that's obviously, that's the goal using, you know, things that I've learned what the research says out there common sense, but it, it's what works yeah. for me. And even I had to change that. So if, if, if I told somebody Super to do what I did in grad school or what I'm doing right now, odds are they're probably not going to be able to see the exact same results because they're different.
0: Yeah. No, and that's uh, that's such a good point. Um, well, dude, this has been awesome, man. I, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And uh, this is really interesting. And quite frankly, like in the future, if you'd be down to come back, I'll, hey, I'll yeah. keep pepping your we'll questions. questions this you know, happy to help. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Hey, so if people want to, uh, either follow what you're doing or get in touch with you in some way, um, you know, where, where's the yeah, best place? I'm Pretty active to on
2: uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. So, uh, LinkedIn, I guess you can just okay. type in my first and last awesome. name. It's hopefully uh, pretty easy to find me. Twitter handle is, uh, X Patel, uh, P R A T I K X P A T E L. Uh, Instagram's the same handle. I'm trying to, change my Instagram to where it's more educational because I think there's still a, a lot that can be shared out there, not only just in the nutrition realm, but stuff that I've learned working in sport, you know, this whole, you know, leadership role, you know, trying to give back to the next generation of practitioners and coaches that are coming up, just try to share experiences that I've learned because obviously everybody's situation is different. Um,
0: yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, uh, and so I'll make sure to link to it. Uh, f- I, yeah, I think that's so important, and you know that's kind of the foundation of this podcast. Is I feel like a lot of the things that can make for a great athlete likewise oh, yeah. can make for a great person. Um, you know, so you know while the demands are different of an NFL player, I think to your point, you know, a lot of the the things that you're trying to educate them on, um, you know, can help someone in their day job be a better parent. I mean, what's more important than that? You know what I mean? So um, I love it, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to link to all of that, and I will certainly <laughs> be following along. And uh, yeah, this has been a huge help. No, I'm glad. Thanks for having me.
2: When mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy.
0: <laughs> All right. How you doing, mommy? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. Nice early morning for us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Super early for yeah. me. How early for you? Like four. Four?
0: Yeah. Pretty standard. That's terrible. I'm sorry. Our kids aren't letting you sleep, are they?
1: No, but you're not getting much either, so.
0: No, but I got more sleep than you did last night, so I keep not complain. I feel bad. But that's okay. We're going to make it back to you tonight. going to try and get you to bed early, relaxed, <laughs> get in some quality sleep.
1: You're going to have to consult Canon on that.
0: Yeah. Hi, buddy. He's joining us today. Hey. He's chilling. He's uh, back. So this was a great conversation, and I feel like it answered a lot of the questions that I've had for a very long time.
1: Yeah, same. Yeah. It- like, he went over a lot of things that I had heard, but he put like logic to it.
0: Yeah. Which I appreciated because it's like so much of this, it's so confusing. Yeah. And like, when you think about it, what we eat should not be this confusing. And maybe this is like, it's only in recent human history that people like really worry about this stuff. Because it more just (laughs) used to be a matter of like, you you eat what you can get your hands on. Mm -hmm. And now we're like, oh, like, there's my macro balance, right?
1: Yeah. Well, he did say like your genetic makeup has a big part in what
0: you
1: could and should be trying to do with your diet.
0: I know. I thought that was cool.
1: Yeah. I thought that was crazy because I didn't think that would matter as much.
0: (sighs) Yeah, but it makes sense when he says it. Yeah, You know, it's like from an evolutionary standpoint, if that's what your ancestors like ate and their body became accustomed to eating these certain things, it's like you're probably going to handle that better. Mm -hmm. Whereas something that like crazy is is your genetic makeup is completely just not used to eating. It it might, you know, you might not deal with it very well. Yeah. I thought it was great. Let's get into the takeaways. If I can find my notes. Okay. First one. Supplements.
1: I knew that was going to be your first one.
0: Yeah. I was so excited to get his take. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty close in, yeah. in terms of what I do in my routine. Very close. But not uh, not entirely right. Yeah. Which he uh, he showed me the error of my ways. But my my first thought was there's a lot of junk out there, right? And I totally get it. It's confusing. I'm confused as well half the time as to what do you need? What will help? What he said that I thought was really interesting is, um, you know, use things that are like safe and proven to work. And one way you can know they're safe is if you make sure that they've been like third party verified, Mm -hmm. that's a big one. Um, but on top of that, I thought really, it came down to like, even if you're an athlete now, if you're an elite athlete, right. He might have like some more recommendations for you. But what I thought he basically said is like, look, it's like the basic staples, carbs, protein, creatine, and the big game changer, essential amino acids, amino acids, which I was not doing. Is
1: that in your water? Uh, no,
0: no, the, no, but I did have it in my shake this morning after I worked out. Nice. Now you've been taking them too since we got yeah.
1: them. Yep.
0: Do you enjoy the taste?
1: Uh, it's fine. It's not terrible. <laughs> I don't.
0: It's better than some of the other yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not like cringe cringeworthy, like a lot of the stuff you eat is, yeah. drink is, or.
0: Yeah. So. The supplements, that was a big one because I, I was just really interested to understand because I, I think people want to do the right thing, but it's hard. It's confusing. So that was a big one with supplements. Uh, you know, you don't need all the bells and whistles. Um, the other thing he said, and I want to get your take on this and you already mentioned it was, you know, just how individual the needs are when it comes to nutrition. Mm hmm. Right. So we talked about already, you know, like think about your ethnic background, but he gave us a couple others. And then there's something that I want I want us to do. I want to get biomarker get, get tests. A oh, okay. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> get a food scale? okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: I want to get a food scale. I want to start weighing all of our food. Yeah. Babe. <laughs> Would you ever do that? No. 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 Uh, I know people do it. Is he single or does he have a wife and kids? Uh, He's single. He's yeah. single. I don't know if he's dating anyone. He's got more time for that. Yeah, but I don't think he weighs all his food. I think he said sometimes he weighs like the protein.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's what he said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But no, but there's people that like these people, these these crazy mm. people, but like they weigh all their food, like macronutrients you know, to make sure they are getting, it's crazy. I just don't know how that's sustainable. Yeah. I don't know. Like who has the time for that?
1: I guess it doesn't take, if you're preparing most of your meals, it only takes another two seconds to do,
0: mm.
1: but then that's one more thing to clean gross
0: just oh, that dirty scale that no good <laughs> dirty scale well anyways I can't do it so I'm not going to but he also didn't say you have to mm-hmm. but what I thought he said was really interesting and he has all his players do it is, is get these like biomarker tests this blood work
1: I would like to do that
0: that's what I was gonna say I want to do with yeah us. yeah yeah um
1: that'd be really cool we're about to get blood work done maybe we can ask if we can add that in
0: I thought you said we were about to get butt work done mm-hmm. I was like oh we're finally getting those butt implants we've always wanted <laughs> not yet, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, but blood work, I know let's get the biomarkers. But to his point, what I thought was great was it's like your diet needs to be so individualized. You should really be focusing on like, where are you deficient? Like that's probably where you should start. Mm -hmm. And I feel like,
1: and that's what this test will tell us.
0: Yeah, it should. And I think he said in some, you know, some uh, markers don't necessarily tell the whole story, but you know, it's this idea of like, rather than like focusing on like trying some next like branded diet, like start by looking at like, what are you deficient in? And then make sure that like, you're getting rid of that deficiency, taking the things you need. And like, let's see if like that makes you start feeling better. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's what it's all about, right? We just want to like feel better, look better, feel healthier.
1: Yeah, fit into our jeans.
0: Fit into our jeans. <laughs> Those sweet, sweet mom jeans. So I want to do that, right? Right. Biomarkers, we're agreed. That. That's easy. Uh, and he says, I mean, other than New Jersey, it sounds like you don't need to like even talk to your doctor to get that test done. I am curious to see how much it costs.
1: I was going to call the lab and ask.
0: I think that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So you call the lab. We'll do that. Ethnic background. We hit the other thing he said, uh, as far as just how individualized diet is, is that it even like changes over time for the person. Hmm. Do you feel that way at all? Yeah, like yeah, like for sure. the way your body responds to things today is different than like college.
1: Yes. Well, yeah. Cause mm, uh, maybe slightly. Yeah. I'm more associate when I'm pregnant. My body responds to things differently, but
0: I don't know if that. Means That's anything. true. Your body has been through such a crazy amount in the last five years. Yeah. Yeah, moms have it tough. I think I think mine does. Wait, I, your metabolism's slower. Maybe just slightly. I still work out a lot, and I still yeah. eat really healthy. But like, I do sit in front of a computer for eight to nine hours a day. Yeah. You know, like that might be having more of effect than like, I, I mean, I, I'm sure a doctor would be like, no, your body's changed, you big dummy. Um, like you're not a superhero. But uh, but I don't really think
1: that it's it, physically, it doesn't look like it's changed. Not that I knew
0: you in college, but thanks, from babe. your Facebook pictures that I've stopped. All right. Wow. <laughs> many times. Now we're getting into it. Well, thank you. But yeah, but I, I thought that was really interesting. So it's like, you know, maybe you're someone who does feel like it's changed, you know, it's completely normal that like what worked for you in college may not work now. And you kind of have to like, uh, reassess like your approach.
1: Yeah. I more feel like I, it's easier to keep weight off now. Cause we're not, I'm not drinking really.
0: That is true. So yeah. Like, we I'm don't a, drink like don't we did like the when the we were in 20s. Weight. Yeah. Yeah. Which we also don't like eat late night pizza.
1: Yeah, we eat so much better. Than Shout out we to used Artichoke to. Pizza, in New York City. <laughs>
0: that was Joe's. It. <laughs> that was our jam for a while there. Uh, so yeah, that's that's true. Our lifestyle has changed a lot. Yeah. But uh, that is something I'm going to try and pay more attention to. And uh, I know you were taking notes. If I have I hit all the things because we talked supplements. Was there anything I missed? You know what?
1: My favorite thing that he said was yes. Please that. Serving size should be the size of your fist. Is that what ben, he said? Yeah. Huh. He said that in the beginning. He, well, that's what he tells his players.
0: Ah, oh, Are you about to make a joke about my tiny hands?
1: No. <laughs> They're not that tiny. <laughs> but we have the same size hands. <laughs> oh, And God we always, I, I always feel like I can eat just as much as you. And I wonder <laughs> if my body requires meat. That's because like, of the size your of your hands, fist? Yeah, if your hands are like... Um... <laughs> <laughs> if they like help you help you, <laughs>
0: if they help you um, realize how much you're supposed to eat. Oh, okay. So you think because our fists are of, e- you say equal size. Well, they're similar. I, sizes. I disagree. My
1: hands are bigger than yours, but <sighs> your fists are slightly bigger than mine. This
0: is so emasculating. <laughs> I hope I hope everyone's already tuned out. Um, okay, so basically you think that we should eat the same amount because our our fists are similar in size. That's what <laughs> that's, I'm hearing.
1: That's what he told me. <laughs>
0: Right. Sorry. Not to put words in your mouth. That is what the uh, nutritionist for the New York Giants said. Okay. I don't think that's the case. And I think I do actually but eat I wonder how much, much more than you.
1: Um. Yeah. But I think I could eat just as much as you.
0: Yeah. And then you'd be my size and I don't think you'd be very happy with
1: that. <laughs> no, I don't think I would
0: be really your size. I think I would just be slightly bigger than what I am now. <laughs> Sounds like another challenge of Bruin. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny and Sonia nutritional face-off. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. The other thing he said too is like eat until you're eighty percent full.
1: Yes, I wrote that down too.
0: That's a good one. Yeah. Not for me. For you. For other people.
1: Wait, why not for you? Because he seemed to think. Because
0: well, because some of the goals I have, I'm trying, I'm trying to too. put weight on. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But I'm, I'm trying to put weight on. Yeah. In some respects. Yeah. So I'm just gonna blow right past that advice. <laughs> no I thought that was good and I am know, gonna,
1: you know better than the trained doctor
0: no but you know and I am, I'm kidding but I am gonna pay attention to that because it is true and how many times do I eat and then I'm like oh that was too much
1: yeah. you know I think a lot yeah. of
0: people relate to that yeah
1: I just never feel like I'm ever full so Mm-mm. I just can keep on eating that's my lady I get that from my dad <laughs> yeah.
0: oh that's what daddy likes to hear okay <laughs> I
1: but, wonder how many people. Who have kids yeah. call each other mommy and daddy? Because well, you have you to. Might, you might be creeping me, but like the kids, are on, the that's only right. kid that's here doesn't speak English yet, so
0: that's right. Sorry, everyone. I wonder if you're getting people creeped think out. that's weird. You just, but here's the thing: you have to because, well, like our Kenny, we share the same yeah. name, so it's like, yeah, it just becomes too confusing. <laughs> um, but also, it's like that's how what they call us. It's like it's so it's like all right, go talk to mommy. It's like I I don't know, like go ask mommy if you can have that. Yeah, And eventually it's like, you just kind of, yeah, sorry, everyone. Okay. Now reflecting, I've creeped everyone out. (laughs) They're like, ugh, what are these people into?
1: It's to the point now, if you ever say my actual name, I'm like, oh, that's nice.
0: (laughs) How refreshing. Well, it's kind of like how uh, I'll catch myself sometimes talking to other adults and be like, man, my tummy really hurts. (laughs) They're like, what? I'm like, uh, (laughs) uh, my stomach. I have some (laughs) acute, (laughs) acute abdomen pain. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> but it is my tummy at the end of the day. <laughs> the last thing, because we're going to try and keep these a little shorter. Okay, yeah. because they're, they're, g- they're
1: getting out of control.
0: I don't know if you've noticed, but I, te- I can be a little long-winded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, consistency over time came up. Mm-hmm. Right? He's like, he gave, a, he gave a lot of really great little, I'm not going to call them hacks, but tips as to how you can do things that are going to help you uh, eat a better diet, but possibly like put yourself to get more out of what you're eating. You know, he mentioned the cold showers. Mm-hmm. We can talk yeah. about that another time. I wrote time. that down too. Um, you know, uh, getting yourself a little bit more relaxed before you eat, so you're in a parasympathetic state, right? Getting out of that fight or flight, so that like if oh, that's
1: hard for me because I'm always cooking meals and I'm dealing with like a screaming baby usually while I'm cooking because you're up in your office. Yeah. So I'm like in a
0: frantic mode when I sit down. Yeah. I think that's serious though. Yeah. I think that, I, mean, I think that, and for a lot of people, they relate to that, especially if they have kids. Yeah. Or if you have a high stress job, but I think that's like a real problem. Mm-hmm. I think you're a hundred percent right. Wait,
1: so how did I change that? Well, I'll go and listen to it back, a, what his specific advice was,
0: but I thought it was like, he gave us a very specific breathing exercise mm. that you can kind of do. And I don't think it's like cross your legs and um. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, breathe through your nose. I think he said for like seven seconds or something in and out.
1: Like we should do it before dinner.
0: Out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We should do that. We in should. A nice little ritual.
0: Yeah. Be a good, good routine as we spoke about last week.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Consistency over time is, is what I took away from, from that. So he gave us a lot of great tactics. That's what I'll call them. It's yeah. now, it's just a matter if you're someone who's trying to get lean, strong, whatever your goal is, you know, don't give up on it when you don't see the immediate result. Mm-hmm. Like just buy into the process and over time Oh, hello. <laughs> hey, Raspberry buddy. Good job, big fellow. So anyways, since over time, I think that's a great place to wrap. Any parting thoughts? I've got one for you.
1: Okay, go cool. go ahead.
0: How's your fasted cardio going? I told I told the <laughs> listeners I was gonna keep you accountable.
1: I've done it like maybe
0: three days this week. That's pretty good. Yeah. Do you feel different on the day you're doing it?
1: Yeah, but like I, yeah, yeah, I feel better.
0: Do you feel more weight? I guess, how do you feel better? I know how I feel, I've I'm already told listeners.
1: Feel more prepared for the day mm. and I'm more productive.
0: Are you just saying that because I'm putting you on the spot? No. Because I I see it, no. I feel like I see, I see you, you feel better and you're like moving around, you're excited to do stuff.
1: Yeah, usually I'm just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> lounging about
0: <laughs> like a Roman emperor in my
1: Roman slipper.
0: Little kids just bringing you grapes, palm, palm fronds, or whatever they're called palm fans. I wish. Okay. So, yeah, fasted cardio. And then we just, uh, not a spoiler, had another great conversation with a strength and conditioning coach who brings up the same thing. <laughs> I know I lisped. All right. Let's wrap this up. This is out of control. Okay.
1: Bye, everyone.
0: Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs> Ha, <laughs>